is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 1-800-259-9231. Tonight, it's Ian here with you. And Sam. And no more Mark. He is, well, not no more forever. He'll be back probably on Wednesday. He's gone down to Florida with the family to enjoy a little time off, I suppose. So, good for him. Uh, in the meantime, you'll be here, Sam, and I think Julia's in tomorrow night. Monday, we've got Gardner, and then Tuesday, both of the hosts of Free Minds TV will will be joining us. So that'll be fun. I nice. don't think we've ever had both Nick and Toby on at the same no, time. Toby hasn't been on in ages. I, yeah. I know he was on recently when I was in jail. Yeah. So uh, we'll take your calls about anything. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. the SACL CAI toll-free line. Now, speaking of jail, uh, one of the things I'd asked you to do tonight, Sam, because uh, after or is bring a bunch of letters from your jail experience you got so many of these things and you did bring some in tonight i want to share at least one if we have if we have time uh but after you had gotten out of jail uh we did a little jail party at your house uh <laughs> it was a real just a small thing it was your roommate at the time and and myself and uh you you had all your snack food that you bought while you were in jail all and the so commissary we, stuff yeah mm-hmm. yes so we had like a jail snack food party and it was it was fun uh but one of the things we did during that was you t- you brought out all the letters and the postcards and you spread them out on your table you've got a fairly large table and it was no no problem covering uh just the top of the table with some of the letters and the postcards you received and it, it was one of the most stunning things uh just yes. looking at the volume of correspondence that you received Mostly thanks to Mike Barsky and Mail to Jail, uh, mail-to-jail.com. Uh, big thanks to him because if he hadn't been there providing the Mail to Jail service, who knows how many of the people that, that uh, you know, maybe they, they felt like they didn't have enough time to go through all the steps to write the letter and Mail to Jail was, was the, the factor that made it worthwhile for them. Mm-hmm. Who knows what percentage of the people that sent through Mail to Jail would have actually sent had mail to jail not actually existed because you're you're uh, you received 80 plus percent of your mail and postcards through mail to jail yeah and it wasn't till i until i got home that i realized wow look at all of these letters and look at all of the people that wrote in because i was sitting there reading them uh every day one after another after another and it it really kept me grounded with what i was doing with why i was there mm. uh it showed me on the outside some of the things that were going on the difference that it was making the people that were coming around to the ideas of liberty because of what I had done or found out about Free Talk Live or the Free State Project or, mm-hmm. you know, just any the, the liberty activists in general. And then, yeah, once we spread it out all over the table, it was just amazing to see. I took, I put it out again last night and took pictures of it, and I'm going to nice. uh, put a video together that kind of flies over all of the, the huge stacks of it. Oh, cool. That'll and be a cool welcome back video. Yeah, eventually I got so much that I had to take half of it and ship it out with the guards and have Ivy pick it up and take it home because it was really filling my tote bin. I didn't have room for all the junk food that I was eating. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, so we'll get to that stuff here in a bit. Of course, your calls are still the primary element of the program, and we'll start out with Dave in Nevada. Dave, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Sam. Hey. Good evening, gentlemen. Dave, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, hopefully, maybe you have my postcard and letter. I sent Sam a postcard and a letter. Of course, he probably doesn't remember mine specifically since there are so many. But uh, um, but uh, anyway, I um, was listening to the podcast from yesterday. Um, you were talking – the guy from Canada called talking about socialized medicine. And you said, mm-hmm. hey, if anyone has any experience with this or knows anybody in the healthcare industry to call in. Yeah. And uh, so, well, I'm calling in. I don't 
um, I don't work in medicine, but my father does. My father uh, uh, works in cardiac surgery. Okay. And um, he 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 also he knows a lot of people throughout the country. And um, one example, he was talking to me about like what would happen with uh, you know socialized medicine, and and he was telling me that in uh, Buffalo, New York, um, like I think something like thirty percent of the knee replacements done or people that come down from Canada because they just can't wait the amount of time. Uh, right, and you'd think, you'd think for something like a knee replacement, you could wait, right? What's the big deal? Yeah. It's just, it's free if you wait. Why would you go down to uh, Buffalo and have to pay? Yeah, so it's 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 really ridiculous. And they he's in central Illinois, so they don't get too many people from Canada, but we know that um, like up in Wisconsin and Michigan, they'll mm-hmm. get people, you know, that, that do, uh, you know, bypass and stuff like that. And, and part of the, the real problem is there's, um, uh, if you're, if they're getting, if they're billing, uh, Medicare or Medicaid, typically what happens is they don't get like a hundred percent of whatever the bill is. They'll get 15 to 30%. Oh, geez. Yeah. And then they have so, to make it up somewhere else, right? Whether they have to raise the prices for their cash payers and things like that. Yeah, so they're they're really getting shafted by the government on that. Now, if if you go to a system where you're using government health insurance, they're going to say, "Well, we've been we've been this is what we've been paying for these procedures, and that's what we're going to pay." So, consequently, what's going to happen is that uh, you know it's it's going to they're going to make less money. They're going to have less money to spend on new technology. Doctors um, will essentially take a pay cut, won't they? They'll, or they'll have to spend less time with each of their patients. Yes. Um, doctors will have to take a pay cut. Um, there's everybody, nurses. Uh, there's a huge shortage of nurses. They're they're um, underpaid and overworked. And um, there's a couple of docs in my dad's group that they retired early because they saw what was coming. Uh-huh. And yeah. As, yeah, yeah, they just were like, screw this, I'm out of here. And that is something um, that's going to be more and more of a problem. And here's something I'd like to uh, to throw out there. Of course, we're talking about the idea of some people are calling it Obamacare, but it's the basically the idea of the Massachusetts healthcare system writ large and even worse, uh, where that the government will begin offering insurance. Uh, in the marketplace, essentially undercutting all of the uh, the competitors out there and subsidizing people's uh, health insurance, which uh, and forcing people to, to sign up for it. So if you don't have health insurance and you don't sign up for the government's health insurance or somebody else's health insurance, then they'll force you. They'll take money from your paycheck if you're working at a corporate job, for instance, and then and force you to sign up. So that makes me wonder if you are a doctor. If you're a private doctor today, it is still your choice, from my understanding, your choice to take Medicare, to take Medicaid, to to deal with the the government. Because I know that there's a doctor here in New Hampshire, Toby from Free Minds TV uh, recommends him, that you can go to and pay cash, and he doesn't take insurance. At all. Yeah, he doesn't take any insurance. So what's going to happen to doctors like him when the government comes in with this new plan that's mandating that everyone have insurance – and uh, it will, will it also mandate that the doctors take the government insurance? Well, it seems like something they would do. How could he not? I how, mean, how could he not? What? Not take it? Not take uh, these these clients in? Good point. They'll all have to have the government insurance. Uh, th- th- will it be even legal to pay cash anymore? And then, well, I mean, do you think his customers are going to want to say, "No, I'll go ahead and pay you in cash," given that I have this government mandated uh, insurance plan? No, they won't. They won't want that. Because it'll oh, feel to them like it should be free. Mm-hmm. And he'll he'll probably take in less money because 
the government isn't going to pay him what the services and, and things actually cost. Right. So, if he doesn't go out of business, he's a fairly old guy, and he might just decide he might be one of those guys that throws in the towel at that point rather than have to deal with this. It's awful. Yeah. It, it, and another thing that, that is, is most likely going to happen is um, they're going to tell you, okay, if you're using our health insurance, you must go every year for a physical. You must do this. You must do mm-hmm. that. Um, and they're, you know, oh, you're, you're a smoker? Okay, well, um, you know, you're not going to get uh, the kind of benefits that, uh, you know, someone who's, who's healthy, you know, not smoking. Uh, now, do they do and that they, in Canada? Do they force people into uh, going to physicals all the time? Because that would seem to – you want to talk about clogging up the system. If, and it sounds like you might be speculating on that one. Uh, it, I, know that was, I know that was something proposed under Hillary Care when Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton was running. Um, I don't know if Obama's going to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Well, you're right. They um, do want to try to cut back on uh, the, the long-term risk costs of the patients. So that's why they all of a sudden will start to get a little more interested in banning things like trans fats and stuff like that. They'll, they'll identify various different food items and behaviors that are, are risky to one's health, like smoking and things like that. And they'll, they'll begin to restrict those even more in the name, of course, of public health. And since everybody will be on the public health system at that point, uh, they'll have the then they'll have the leverage uh, to use to control people's habits and behaviors and that sort of thing. Thanks for the expertise tonight, uh, Dave. I really no appreciate problem. hearing from you. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll free line. You're going to sign up for the government health care plan, right, Sam? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a, a pretty pretty large mass civil disobedience on that one. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Alakees.com is a community for self-learners. At Alakees, you'll find tools to help you connect with people learning the same things you're learning, tutor other community members, and to make contacts that can help you find jobs. You can also earn money by sharing your know-how with others and contributing quality content. Visit Alakees at A-L-E-K-E-S-E dot com. Again, that's A-L-E-K-E-S-E dot com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up what you want. Just dial toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian with you. And Sam. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site we give to you, including the wiki, got over 1,800 pages created by listeners like you. Just go to wiki.freetalklive.com, and you can edit virtually anything you see there. W-I-K-I, wiki.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live brought to you by the Porcupine Freedom Festival. And soon, Free Talk Live will be live from the Porcupine Freedom Festival. We're going to be there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. That's this coming Thursday, so the 25th through the 28th. Uh, we'll be broadcasting live. I know Free Minds TV is going to be there broadcasting television live, which is a real trick. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But it's going to be a lot of fun. There are going to be hundreds of people together at the same place, hundreds of like-minded people. That's the important part. People that believe as we do, Sam, you and I love the idea of freedom, and so do these folks. And uh, you'll find a variety. There are going to be the minarchists there, of course, and then there are going to be the voluntarists and whatever's in between. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of socializing, a lot of partying, a lot of games, a lot of uh, activities and, out- and outdoorsy stuff because it's at a campground. And it's hard to describe what it's like to be in this environment with all of these liberty lovers that the level of conversation just starts at a different 
kind of plateau. Yeah, you don't have to move past the uh, the gates, if you will, mm-hmm. of liberty. These most of them already are inside the the fortress, and we're all I brainstorming, good... coming up with ideas, doing different things, and it's just a it's a fun fun event. It's hard to describe. Yeah, I don't know. If fortress is a really good analogy, but. That's... <laughs> That's where I came from. Uh, so, in fact, we're going to talk about violence here in a little bit. I've got a blog post that I thought was really excellent, and there's been a bit of a, a discussion recently on some forum posts over at the Free Keen Forum between some of the activists about violent rhetoric and uh, the idea of using violence in response to the violence that we feel from the government. And I feel like it's important to address that. I think there's no better uh, co-host to talk about something like that than uh, than you, Sam. So sure. uh, we're get, we're going to get to that. Your calls, of course, are primary. We go to your phone calls, but if if you want to learn more about Porkfest, go to their website at porkfest.com. That's P-O-R-C, porkfest.com. You can still get registered, get on board, and I'm pretty sure you'll be able to, even if you don't register over the Internet, you could probably show up. It's a campground. It's huge. They can handle an extra person, so I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Porkfest.com. Let's continue with your calls. Cameron is in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live, Cameron. Hey, guys. How's it going today? What's on your mind tonight, Cameron? No, I just want to say, first of all, that I uh, I became an amplifier, I think it was last week, um, and I was uh, driven to do that by my, fr- by my friend Adam up in New York City that took you to dinner, I heard, Ian. Oh, yeah, I, I do like Adam. He uh, he t- insists on taking us out to dinner every time Mark and I go to New York City, and it's he, uh, nice. he told me he told you and Mark a good story about how I stole a bunch of glasses from a bar. So. Yes, um, uh, shame <laughs> on you. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyways, I was calling because... Uh, I, don't, I know this doesn't have to do with U.S. politics, but have you guys been following the situation in Iran at all? Uh, vaguely. I understand that they tried to crack down on uh, the news, basically, locking down radio stations and TV stations, but uh, people with Twitter yeah, they, accounts they were able to get out. they shut down everything, including the Internet, and there was only a little Internet able to get out, and, you know, they, they're, fight, they're protesting over there to try and get, like, a new government in power because the old government is obviously pretty pretty bad and pretty oppressive to the people. So what, what's been going on in the U.S. and in, in Great Britain and all around the world, actually, is that uh, people from around the world, especially on sites like FARC and 4chan and stuff, have been getting together. They've been going on Twitter, getting updates on Twitter that are coming out of Iran, posting them, sending them to news sites, getting them out, and then also setting up proxies so that people in Iran can Twitter there without fear of having it traced back to their IP address by the Iranian government. So, so, the, Iranian, so the Iranian government has not yet shut down the Internet. They, they have shut down large parts of it. They've shut down most everything, pretty much Google, YouTube, all that is shut down. The only thing that stays alive somehow is Twitter is the only one that's been managing to stay alive that they haven't shut down. That's very yeah. interesting and, and, and really cool how the technology geeks out there are helping out with this. I think that's excellent. That's great. And actually, even the Pirate Bay is involved. They've been helping with uh, some of that stuff, too, which I thought was kind of cool considering they've gone through some troubles of their own recently. But yeah. it just goes to show you how people, I mean... You know, it's you know the U.S. government. We're not getting involved. As you know, the government's not getting involved, but people are helping of their own accord, and it seems to really be, hopefully, doing something. It really does seem to be changing people's opinions and stuff. So it just goes to show that when people get involved with their own free will and left to do their own thing, they can really you know they can really do something good well, and get it done. And I think the other thing that's happening is the traditional media structure is being turned on its head. I mean, oh, absolutely. Typically, they could filter these things out because it came from a few sources just a, in a few press releases at a time, and they could stop and yeah, control the news. you just send the, the troops down to the TV station. But when every one of your citizens has a cell phone that can become a radio, become a, a broadcast uh, TV camera, or a, a way to send a message out to the rest of the world, 
you've got millions of publishers out there that can connect with millions of uh, consumers, and the government can't filter that. It's it's very difficult for them. So what they have to resort to is shutting down sites like that completely. Which it doesn't sound and like they're even able to be successful with completely. They're not, so. and that's the thing. I mean, there it goes to show you government, I mean, people left to their own free will, I think they're always going to be better than the government. It really goes to show you that people can get stuff done, you know. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked to the the warmongers on this show a number of times, especially on the Saturday night shows, uh, and they are always asking, well, what, what, what would happen if we didn't have a military? And I said, well, if you, wanted, if you wanted to go over and fight for some country, you're certainly free to do that. But it's not always that you have to fight. As these folks are showing us, you can offer aid without necessarily having to pick up a gun. I mean, the guys that are doing the Twitter thing and the setting up the proxies, all of these are very useful tools in fighting, uh, fighting against tyranny, I guess. I know I don't like that, uh, that phrase, but I guess in this particular case, it's probably... Yeah, they're st- you know, they are standing apt. up the tyranny, I guess you could Yeah, standing up is that is better, I think. Standing up to tyranny and assisting those who are being victimized. And of course they don't feel afraid to because they know that they can do this and the U.S. government's not going to, to harm them for helping the Iranians so they're not right. afraid of what the, 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 the local government guys are going to do. Imagine what they could do in the absence of the U.S. government, though. They could ship over RPGs. They could ship over uh, you know, AK-47s. They could do all kinds of uh, things like that that otherwise would be very difficult. You try to ship a case full of AK-47s out of the country to uh, your friends over there next to Iran, you're going to be in trouble. I can't wait to find out in, you know, 10 years or however long it takes when the U.S. government comes around and wants to shut down Twitter for security reasons, what what their reasoning is going to be. I got to think it's coming. Won't be long. I mean, then again, Barack Obama uses Twitter, so because you know when he when when he's getting paid to run the country, he's actually playing around on on the computer. So, well, now, I heard some interesting little tidbits out of this. One that a, a guy inside the government leaked the official results, and Ahmadinejad came in third place. That, yeah, um, that's what we. I mean, I've, I've really not. I haven't been like. I've only been helping out a little, but some of the people on FARC who have been. They've been up. They've been up for almost a week straight. That's what the information that they got and they yeah. put together. Now was he has since died in a car accident, and now they're bringing mm-hmm. out yep. the Supreme Ayatollah, who is this high religious leader, who is telling them, "Stop protesting. Go back to your home." And it's unthinkable, according to the mainstream press, that they would disobey the supreme leader. And, and the candidate that they wanted to win was actually he was kind of in cahoots with another. I guess you call him an Ayatollah, and they agreed that the power should be transferred from the supreme religious leaders to the elected representatives, including the president. They wanted to give women more rights. They wanted more open rights as far as challenging the government on things. They basically wanted more transparency in the government, and that seems to be why I'm so in the job. Another example of government resisting change from within, even when it comes it's from true. their own people. Thank you, Cameron, for the call tonight. 800-259-9231. Now, helping out the Iranians hasn't been without consequence. I've got a related story here. We'll share that with you. So you are still taking a risk, even if you are safely across the, you know, the Atlantic. More on the way here. This is Free Talk Live. Are you an active free stater living in New Hampshire? Are you and your family moving to New Hampshire in the near future? A new web series about the Free State Project is currently casting. Interested? Send us a short video about yourself. Tell us what you're doing or planning on doing to achieve liberty in your lifetime. Show us what makes you interesting. Upload your video to YouTube and send the link to fspwebseries at gmail.com. Don't have a video camera? Ask about other submission options. fspwebseries at gmail.com. 
This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. And tonight it is Ian here with you. And Sam. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, they're free, so enjoy those on us. Uh, again, freetalklive.com. Features including archives going back an entire year right there on the front page. You click, you download, they're yours freetalklive.com. We'll continue with the calls in a moment just to add something to what Cameron was saying earlier. He was talking about the Iran situation where you've got the the state clamping down on the official media, the, the radio, the television, the, the old media being clamped down and restricted, maybe even shut down completely. I don't know all the details, just what I've heard. And he pointed out that there are some people on the Internet that are providing uh, certain security measures for individuals who are in Iran who want to Twitter, who want to, to use the Internet to get the word out about what's happening there. And they've been relatively successful at setting up proxy servers and things like that. However, according to Slashdot.org, it is not without consequence. This, according to David Hume, Electronic Maji is reporting on the daily cost that the individual known as Protester Help was attacked in Ohio for providing, allegedly, for providing network security for Twitterers in Iran, setting up private networks to secure prox- or to provide secure proxies, calling for media networks to remove the Iranians' Twitterers' information from their broadcast, and providing counterintelligence services within the Twitter community. Protester help was allegedly attacked by a group of men while walking to class in Ohio. The men, who appeared to protest or help to be either Iranian or Lebanese, drove, him besi- drove up beside him and threw rocks at him while shouting, Mosavi fraud. Protester help further reported that his personal information has been leaked and is currently being spread both online and inside of Iran amongst the government. So that's kind of scary. And it does point out that even though you're an ocean away, you aren't necessarily outside the reach of people that might want to do you harm for getting involved in this situation. Now, there are some people that live for this kind of cloak and dagger stuff, and that, you know, somebody throwing rocks at them is not going to stop them from providing these services. But that's sad, really. I mean, when you think about it, sure, it's sad. helping people, you know, become more free. It, sure, they're clamoring for democracy, but that's a step above what they have today. And here are people out of, you know, hatred and racism and bigotry and who knows what other kind of misunderstandings. They're attacking this man who's just trying to help people free themselves and and gain a better condition for them and their lives and their kids and their family members. I agree with you. It is is sad, but I think it's worth putting out there that if you want to help out with even technical things, Mm -hmm. there's a chance you could be targeted. You are getting involved in what is essentially somebody else's uh, situation. And when you pick a side, this is a very small version of blowback, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the U.S. government gets into some sort of uh, issue across the, the you know, in some other country, and it picks a side, and inevitably the other side, and whatever that conflict is, is pissed off at the U.S. government. Well, this guy, uh, protester help, picked a side, and now he's found that he's in the midst of the conflict. So I'm somebody who says it's none of my business. I'd stay out of it. But for those of you that do want to get involved, do realize, even though you're way over here, there may still be consequences. Not that I don't think that what he did was heroic. Not that I don't think that what he did was, uh, was you know, very, very valuable. I think it was all – I think what he's doing is the right thing. He's not hurting anybody. He's not going over and killing any of the troops in Iran or whatever, in the go- any of the government guys. He's not using a violent no, methods. No, he's, he's enabling freedom of speech, period. Yeah, but – 
There are still consequences when you're dealing with violent people. If you want to stand in their way, there's a chance you're going to be targeted. That's that's why that's why I just wanted to let people know this is not what necessarily a completely safe thing to do. So if you're going to do it, keep it real quiet. Do your best to be private yourself. Don't you know? Don't let the new local newspaper do a feature splash story about you talking about how you're helping out the Iranians. That's the last thing you want is to to draw attention to yourself uh, or even your handle. You know, you don't want to draw attention to any kind of identifying information unless you're up here in New Hampshire. Probably a little safer up here, but yeah, there's hatred in a lot of places. We'll continue here with your phone calls to the amp line, Jim in uh, Rhode Island. You're on Free Talk Live, Jim. What's going on, Ian? It's on your mind. Howdy. Go ahead, Jim. Well, uh, I was uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, it was probably, I think it was a podcast from two days ago, and I heard you guys discussing Social Security. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I heard uh, you and Mark both say that you guys don't pay into Social Security. That is correct. Sam, now, do you pay Social I, I, Security? Not at the moment. Yeah, I have not paid I, Social Security probably since 2003. Yeah. I, was, I wasn't aware there was a way to get out of paying Social Security. How do you guys accomplish that? I don't. I can't answer your question. If you're working for a corporation, I have no idea what that process would be if, or if it's even possible because then you'd have to get your corporation that you're working for, which is essentially a government-granted um, entity. It's a file folder created by the state. So they're pretty beholden to the state and following the state's rules. Uh, you'd have to somehow convince them to cut you your entire paycheck and, and not take the Social Security portion out. Whether that's possible, I've never heard a success story. If it's if you got a success story, would love to hear it at 800-259-9231. But if you're working for yourself, you just don't just don't pay them. Interesting, interesting. Oh, because you guys are self-employed. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well... And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, I will be attending my first pork fest this year. So I look forward to meeting you. All right. Well, we'll see you then. Uh, Anything else on your mind tonight, Jim? I'll leave you guys with that. Uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you for the call, and good luck out there. I'd love to hear a success story of somebody not paying Social Security while still in the system as far as the corporate working world is concerned. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to do, and that's why I kind of realized that that's, that corporate life that I used to live was not the one for me because it meant participating in the system. I mean, it's, there's hardly any way that I've found to get out of, you know, all of these taxes and, and paying all of these things that I just morally disagree with and I, I couldn't be a part of any longer. You know, uh, Dale was talking about that. I think I think he was talking with it uh, with us on the air about how he was at one time working in that corporate world, doing a corporate programming job, and and making decent money, of course, uh, and a significant chunk of that decent money was being taken by the federal government. Um, but he feels much more uh, satisfied with his life and much more content now that he is on his own, no longer working for his corporate master. And is making significantly less. He's not making near as much as, uh, as as he used to. It's starting to grow for him, though. He's doing his own thing, obviously, with the with the comic strip. Dale from Anarchy in Your Head, of course, is who we're talking about. Anarchyinyourhead.com. You can see his comic strip there. And he's starting to do freelance art uh, art for for people. And it and his his schedule's getting busier and busier as far as people that need him to do or asking him to do artwork for them. And I, I think you and Dale are perfect examples of people who are living their passion. And when you do yes. that. Uh, you know, at first it, you may not make as much, but over time, as you get better at it and affect uh, a greater change out in the world, people will reward you for that, and you'll have what you need. Absolutely, uh, you got to. As long as you're providing people with uh, a product and a service with that value. they value, mm-hmm. 
Uh, if, you, if you're put, putting junk out there that nobody's interested in, you're going to have a real tough time. Even if that's your, if that's your dream, to, to put something out that only you want, uh, it's not likely going to happen. But the good news is something you want is likely wanted by other, other people. Yeah, that's what you do, isn't it? It's pretty much what I do, yeah. I mean, I, I put the radio show out that I want to listen to, and I've never really done anything but that. I'll listen to what people's suggestions are. And if I feel like the suggestion would improve the show I wanted to listen to, then I'll take the suggestion. Otherwise, it goes into the junk bin. Because if I tried to do everything that everybody wanted with this show, it'd be I'd, I'd drive myself nuts trying to change it in every little which way that uh, would satisfy the, the majority of the listeners or whatever that even means at, at any given time. Yeah. So 1-800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line. Uh, so coming up here, I want to share a, a story with you from freekeen.com, actually originally from the New Hampshire Free Press, um, by a guy who I think came from a similar position that I have come from as far as in this movement, coming from more of the conservative side of things, having a real uh, re- uh, revering for the Second Amendment and and bearing firearms and you know they'll take they'll take me uh, lead first or whatever that you know the the firearms advocates the bun- the gun polishers like to say and talking all tough about how when the government comes it's uh, it's going to be a, a shootout they're not going quietly etc cetera, etc cetera. the problem can- is you just you never know you never know what when when they're going to come for you to drag you off or yeah. when they're just coming to talk to you that that is all true and there are more problems with that perspective and he outlines them pretty effectively I want to get to that and take your calls about whatever you want the toll free number is 800-259-9231 it's the SACL CAI toll free line and this is free talk live <laughs> You take control of the airwaves, bring up whatever's on your mind, 800-259-9231. the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 1-800-259-9231, and you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Now, if you enjoy the fact that we give you the features on the website for free, one of the things you can do to help support the show is shop with us at amazon.freetalklive.com. Just enter Amazon through that link, and Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. So it doesn't matter if you're buying, even in their used section, they sell used items at Amazon. Uh, whether you're buying there or brand new, you're getting free super saver shipping on a whole bunch of their brand new items. Uh, doesn't matter what you buy. If you enter through amazon.freetalklive.com, Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. So a great way to get the stuff that you need for life and help Free Talk Live at the same time. It's amazon.freetalklive.com. Dot com. Do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? SACL CAI does collections, early outbilling, and they purchase charged-off receivables. SACL's employees are trained at resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep those clients too. SACL CAI, check them out. Uh, check out their banner at freetalklive.com. Do business with businesses that support FTL. All right, 800-259-9231. So let's talk about dogs. Long Beach, California. The story is from the Press-Telegram, presstelegram.com. This time the dog catcher is going after stray owners. City and county animal control agencies serving Long Beach will begin going door-to-door this month to provide their services to you. Wonderful. Yeah, they're just going to be offering services, and I'm sure it'll be your choice whether or not to take them. 
apparently, you know, what they're trying to do is to make sure that dog licenses are up to date. Essentially, make sure that you've been ponying up the, uh, the cash that they demand from you. Inspectors plan to spend the next six months using lists of data that show addresses where a dog license may have expired, knock on the door, and ask the owner if they would like to renew their licenses. Just a little customer service call. Hey, just checking in on you. Would you like do you, to? Do you, do you suppose somewhere in there they'll ask, hey, do you still have those dogs? I, uh, well, you're we right still, about that. We see records here that say uh, you own two uh, chocolate Labradors. Do you still have those animals? As opposed to uh, jumping right into collecting? Yeah, because then they can establish, oh, you've still got the animals. Well, now we also show that those licenses are expired. Yes, uh, that's very likely. take care of that. If inspectors pass an address not on the list of licensees and see or hear a dog, they will knock on the door to inquire if the pet belongs to that household or whether the animal was perhaps registered at another address before a move. So if there's a dog barking in your backyard and you don't have uh, the the required uh, details, then they'll be knocking on your door as well. So don't think that uh, just because you don't have a dog in the system that wasn't they won't it, knock on your door. Wasn't it in V for Vendetta where the two guys are driving around in the van listening into people's houses mm-hmm. and their conversations? So this is essentially a low-tech version of that. So maybe one day he'll be able to get uh, sensors that can pick this up. Well, right, because if you don't answer the door then there's not much that they can do, hmm. right? Right. If you, if the government people are trying to contact you, it's never for something good. When could it be for something good? Uh, I suppose if you're missing somebody and they're calling you to, try, you know, to say they found your 10-year-old son, okay, well, then you, you already called them. You know, you, you, they're calling you back in that particular case. But if, if all of a sudden you've got some guy in a uniform at your front door knocking on it, what benefit is it to you to even answer it? What benefit... Uh, could it possibly be for you to go up and open that door for that person? Not much anymore. Because you can you can plan out your responses if you want to. You can you think you might think that you know exactly how you would handle a situation like that, but you don't really know exactly what they're going to say, and you certainly don't know what they're going to do. They may call the police just if you you know if you're being ornery, if you're being uh, non-responsive to their questions. They may decide that that's a reason to call the cops on you, or or try to get a search warrant or something like that. Whereas if you just let them stand on the porch for a minute, they'll go away. And probably never come back. Now, let's see what the, the bureaucrats have to say for themselves on this one. It's interesting to uh, always get their perspective on things. Pet owners who are out of compliance will have a choice. Renew the annual dog license for $19. Now, it's $91 if the dog is not spayed or neutered. So, does that mean they'll be checking on your dog as well uh, while Physical they're Physical examinations? Wow. They'll probably just ask you. They probably just ask all of these questions, and then if you answer the affirmative, then... Oh. Now it's $91 instead of 19 uh, Or you'll face a citation, if you don't do one of those two things, you'll face a citation of about $295. So the, uh, the bureaucrat here, John Keisler, manager of the city's Animal Care Services, says it's not worth it and it's a waste of time. <laughs> Which means that he's saying it's not worth it to accept like the, the citation. Well, no, what he's saying is it's not worth trying to fight this. We're going to get your money. The choice that yes. you have is either to pay or pay more. Pay more. <laughs> right, because then you probably have to go to a court or something like that. Owners can write a renewal check on the spot, or they can agree to send a payment. The goal is not so much to punish errant owners, they say, but to better track pets. That's all this is about. It's just numbers. It's not compliance. Inspectors with citation powers 
Can you imagine that? They've got their powers to write citations. I bet that makes them feel very special. They probably already have metal badges. Inspectors uh, will, make the call, um, will make the call on whether to cite owners on a case-by-case basis. Those without the power to cite can ask another officer to follow up with owners unwilling to comply with the law. Likely, if someone will make their license current right there and then, then no, they won't be cited, but somebody has that choice. If they say, no, I'm not going to get a license right then and there, we will return and write a citation. What happens if this guy comes to your door and you have friends over who brought their dog? Well, they're, they're going to want an explanation. If you answer the door, they're going to start asking questions. Is this your dog? No, they're my friends. Okay. Are you Can sure I talk about to that? Them? Are they going to believe that? Well... Who knows if, what they will believe? This is why you don't want to answer the door in the first place, so you don't have to get into some story. I mean, if you start telling lies, it gets you have to start telling more lies to cover the lies, and mm-hmm. there's a good chance you'll get caught. Dog owners receive annual license renewal statements in the mail. If the animal dies, the owner moves or gives away the pet, they can call or write animal services to indicate the change in circumstances. And I bet you if you don't call, that's another citation. In Long Beach, there are believed to be more dogs than licenses, uh, licenses, but exactly how many more is unknown. Right now, we have about 180,000 households and, on record, 36,000 dogs. We know there are more animals out there that are unregistered, and we want to make sure we're doing the best we can to register them in accordance with the municipal code, because every dog is a $19 check from the, the people that, uh, that own it. In every fact, year. Well, yeah, and that's, excuse me, that's a renewal. The $19 is a renewal, so it probably costs more to get the, the initial uh, license. Oh, there's a processing fee. Yeah, and a tax on top 20% of 20% on top of that. Inspectors will comb the city with their lists, and the, uh, I guess that's about the story there. So look out, and this could be happening, even though it's happening in Long Beach, it could be happening absolutely anywhere. So beware, because these bureaucrats want your details. Uh, you've got something you want to share here? Let's get to yeah. that in a moment. Uh, no, I know it's related, but Don is on the line in Arizona. Don, you're on Free Talk Live. Don? No, it's Dan. Dan, you're on the air. Hi. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm a dog owner, and uh, I, all my life, I don't, I don't, I don't succumb to the uh, authorities. I hate that word. Yes. And uh, license my dog. Good for I you. I control my dog. I control my dog, and uh, I don't need my dog spayed or neutered because I control my dog. Well, a dog, uh, and, a dog doesn't <laughs> just because a dog is licensed doesn't mean they're in any uh, under any more control. They're still going to bark out in the backyard and still going to annoy well, some people. Well, absolutely. My point is, I, I would, I would, I would put it to anyone that if they if they did a survey, if they could, and they surveyed those dogs and those dog owners that. Uh, submitted to the the government and licensed their dogs, and then they surveyed those who didn't, you would find that those that didn't would have better behaved dogs than those that were licensed. I don't know. It seems it seems speculative to me. Um, well, it, it, I, understand, I understand it does, but it, it, it's a dichotomy of, of just how, how when people think that they get a license or someone is licensed, that everything is hunky-dory, and it isn't. Are you sure? If we didn't have dog licenses, it would be like India and there'd be strays running all <laughs> over the streets, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I mean, if, I because mean, we'd if, be if eating dogs the dogs, dogs or... 
Dogs to dogs. No, it, it wouldn't be like that. What's with Absolutely the discrimination? Not. That's what I want to know. Why aren't there cat licenses? Do they actually have those in places? <laughs> I've never checked. No, well, me neither. I know for a fact they don't have them here in, uh, in the Keene area. They do have dog licenses, but not cat licenses. Hmm. What's up with that? Anyway, well, thank you for the call tonight, uh, okay. Dan. Appreciate it. Dan, 800-259-9231. Uh, Sam, you've got an email. I don't know if we'll have time to get through it. but uh, It's real short. Um, this was one of the letters that I got in jail, and it talk, it's one of, from one of the Free Talk Live listeners, and it relates to uh, answering the door, and it says... Oh, see, I told you we didn't uh, have a lot of time, but we'll get to it, okay? Hour number two, the, uh, the whole issue of should you answer the door when the government people come calling... I've yet to hear a good reason why you should. Yeah. 1-800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Maybe one reason why you should answer is if you have a camera with you, a video camera, and you want to confront them on camera, that'd be a good way to... Maybe that's a good excuse, but otherwise, keep the door closed. Don't let them know you're there. Hour 2 coming up. Attention, all active duty members and veterans of the U.S. military. Your proud service to your country entitles you with the right to participate in special VA loan programs with benefits not available to the general public, like the ability to purchase a new home with no down payment or mortgage insurance, or refi with cash out up to 100% of your present home equity with less strict credit criteria. You are entitled to these benefits. Review them online at varadio.com. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the United States military, you've earned special rights and privileges. On your feet and get the details at varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. varadio.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind. We're launching here into the second hour of the program tonight. It's Ian with you. Oh, I didn't turn your mic on. Missed that one up. Try that again. And Sam? Uh, Yes, Sam sitting in for Mark, who is on vacation. Our toll-free number for you is 1-800-259-9231. And, of course, we invite you to bring up anything. If it's your first time listening to the show, you don't believe us when we say you can bring up virtually anything, well, you really can and we do have to, I guess, qualify it with virtually because it's got to be FCC-friendly. But otherwise, anything goes at 1-800-259-9231. So uh, last hour, toward the end of the, the hour, we started talking about dogs, uh, actually dog bureaucrats, the ones that come around to your house and demand that you pay them because you want to love a dog because you were so uh, generous of yourself to take a dog, for instance, out of the Humane Society and, and put them in your loving home, that they decide they want to get $91 from you for it or whatever the, the arbitrary amount is that the local bureaucrats in your area have decided is the appropriate amount to, to pay them so they don't uh, steal your dog from you or possibly put you in a jail cell. This isn't, is what, this, isn't this just a tax in order to support their activities of rounding up strays, perhaps? I'm sure the money would go to the animal services uh, bureaucracy, yeah. I mean, why can't this be done on some kind of a voluntary basis? Well, it could. I mean, the Humane Society is completely funded on a voluntary basis, at least as I understand it. I recall looking into that once as to whether or not the Humane Society took government money, and maybe it's a different story all around the country, but down in Sarasota, Florida, they did not take, uh, as I recall, any government money. Hmm. So, yeah, it's absolutely possible to fund taking care of animals on a voluntary basis. So, 
we were talking about that and how it is that if these bureaucrats come around, they've got a set of questions that they will ask you. If you answer the door, it's like answering the door for a vampire. If you open the door, they can come in and then they can do whatever they want. Now, it's not exactly the same with an animal control officer, but the the concept is similar. You've opened the door, they're going to start answering questions, and if you don't know what to do with their questions, you're going to look bad, they're going to issue you a citation, you're going to end up in court. They could potentially be trying to put their foot in the door and force entry into the home. Cops have been known to do something like that. Maybe yeah. an animal control officer would do that. In many cases, they are police, uh, so it would depend. They were talking about in the article that some of them have citation powers and some do not, so... Uh, maybe they're bringing bureaucrats over from uh, other parts of the department and having them walk the streets, basically looking for people that don't have their their license up to date or following up on people that haven't renewed their license so they can cash in. And so once you open that door, it opens the, the door to the conversation. And once the conversation door is opened, then anything you say can and will be used against you. And if you admit to having a dog and not having it uh, re- registered, there's your citation right there. If you admit to uh, having a dog and uh, having a, a registration lapse, you'll get a citation unless you pay up right there and then. And so if you want to keep your privacy, if you want these people to stop bothering you, one of the best ways to deal with that is to just not talk to them. Don't answer the door in the first place. I know that the guys at, at Busted, I was watching the Motorhome Diaries, uh, motorhomediaries.com. They, they're going around the country. Pete and Jason, uh, great guys, free staters, going to move to Keenan actually when it's all said and done. But they're driving in an RV all around the country and meeting up with uh, liberty-oriented people. And while they were in, I think it was D.C., they met up with the Flex Your Rights guys from uh, the video Busted that you mm-hmm. may have seen. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. The one thing that they don't cover in Busted that uh, that we learned from our friend Barry Cooper from NeverGetBusted.com is that in in Busted, they do a good job of showing how to deal with the cops if you feel like you have to, do- to talk to them in the first place. Like, you know, step outside your front door, don't invite them into your house, that sort of thing. Talk to them outside if you feel you must talk to them. Uh, but Barry Cooper recommends you just not talk to them at all. And that seems to be the most sensible advice because then they have no contact with you. There was an example of some of the guys here in Keene. Uh, there were a handful of activists living in one of the houses here, one of the pork manors, I guess you could call it. And the animal control had come up to the front door. Who knows what their purpose was? I mean, the the uh, the people on the other side of the duplex own dogs, so maybe they got the side wrong. I don't know. But they knew better than to open. They'd heard Barry Cooper's advice, and they knew better than to open that door for that animal control officer. They also knew better than to talk through the door. You don't have to talk to them. When I say don't open the door, I mean don't even talk to the person. Uh, so they didn't do that. And they even were seen. I mean, the animal control officer's looking in the window, and they're walking in front of the window. And so the the, the officer knew someone was home, but he doesn't have the ability to, to bust in with a warrant or something like that. He's there on a fishing expedition to talk to people that have seen so many Hollywood movies, and have, uh, you know they believe they must open the door for the police, and that opens the door for them to start writing citations. Yeah, and the fact is, in law, you have absolutely the most protection inside of your own house. And so I've used that as well when I was uh, back in Plano. I walked in and the the uh, police officer came up to the door over a neighbor's tree that was growing out into the street that I had gone up and, you know, fil- started filming the bureaucrat. Mm-hmm. And I did talk to him through the door and I held a camera up at the window so that he could see he was being filmed. Yeah. And, you know, there was nothing he could do. If I did, He just kept asking question after question to try and get me outside. 
and I just keep telling him, look, it's time for you to leave. Yeah, if he gets you outside, then he takes it to the next level, whatever that is. It's yeah. probably not something you want. Whatever he wants it to be, essentially. So and you had an, uh, an, I guess, a piece of mail come in while you were in jail from, was it from mail to jail? Mail from mail to jail, yep. Mail-to-jail.com. Go ahead and share that. from uh, Jason in Colorado Springs. He said, Sam, I appreciate what you're doing uh, to advance the cause of freedom. Several days ago, police rang my doorbell after midnight and wanted to know the whereabouts of my brother-in-law. Thanks to you, Ian, and uh, other free staters, I was able to confidently refuse to open the door and to uh, not answer any of their questions. Keep up the good work. Uh, reinforcements are on the way. Excellent. Yeah. It's so a, a win. So another example of you know the impact that the show is having, and that people mm-hmm. are able to listen to this and eventually gain the courage to take these little steps. It's you know it's hard to, to do some of the bigger acts of civil disobedience, Absolutely. but. Just perfect not example. answering the door is simple. Yeah, that's a perfect example of one of those baby steps that we've talked about on the show to where if a whole bunch of people were to just take little steps like that, just a little dip into the, the waters of non-cooperation and not be completely obedient to these folks, it would do a whole lot to just stop them dead in their tracks. I mean, what would they do in in uh, Laguna Beach or wherever the hell this story was, where the, it could be your town, any town USA, they do this stuff everywhere. If these guys went to a neighborhood and only 1% of the people opened the door or, or talked to these uh, these people, what would they do? It'd they don't a... have enough evidence to build a case yeah. because you build the case for them when they ask you questions and you answer them. Which is why if you do get to the point, let's say you're out walking your dog. Well, now you're in trouble, right? Because if there's no way you can avoid that one. Although I suppose you could just walk on into your house and close the door behind you, right? That's what—that's basically what you did when you were across the street filming. The Before he got out of the car, he tried to hit his siren to stop me, and I mm. knew better than that. I did not even turn around, shut the door, and turned around and locked it. Well, a siren doesn't mean anything. What's yeah. that supposed to mean? It's but just now a if noise. a cop's giving you an order to stop and you go into the house, that then may be a you're problem. in trouble. Yeah. yeah. So see if you can get into your house but if again, you're walking the dog. But you should be able to just sit there. Am I being detained? Am yes. I free to go? Am I being detained? Am I free to go? And They're keep... key questions. Mm-hmm. Key questions that are relatively easy to uh, to memorize. Uh, there, are, there's those are the two big ones. I would say. Am I being detained? Am I free to go? And, and one more ask thing. him some questions. If he asks you a question, ask him questions. Uh, just, just what's your name? You know, anything that you can, anything basic that you can come up with to turn the conversation around. Because when you're answering questions, you're losing. And when you're asking questions, you're in the position of, uh, you're coming from a position of uh, mastery and strength. And if you if you don't know what to say and you get stuck. Uh, if you don't recall what the answer is to a question, you can always say that, and it's very difficult for them to use that against you because you just don't remember. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you answer with the you know misinformation or the wrong answer, then you've got some problems. Yeah, if you if you say you don't recall, then you can't be caught in a lie. Exactly. Right? Uh, so all that uh, keep that in mind next time someone in a uh, uniform is knocking at your door. The toll free number here for us. Maybe you want to share your story with us. Maybe you've had a similar success. I know that was uh, somebody. Somebody had called a little while back. I think you might have been in, uh, in jail for this call, but uh, they they were talking about they had some friends. They were having a party, and they successfully managed to deflect the police by not answering the door. You probably want to turn the music down in that mm-hmm. instance because you don't want to give them a reason to come back. Uh, but, you know, just don't talk to these guys. There's no reason for it. 1-800-259-9231. And since that's the advice of Barry Cooper, who is a former narcotics officer. I I believe it's some of the best advice I've ever heard. Yeah. 
toll free 800-259-9231. Coming up, we'll talk about violence as a solution to the government problem. I, of course, don't believe it is in any way, shape, or form. And uh, we'll talk to you if you want to chime in here at 800-259-9231. And bring up whatever you want. It's Free Talk Live. Talk Live, your show. If you bring up anything, dial toll-free, 800-259-9231. the SACL CAI toll-free line, and tonight it's Ian with you. And Sam. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All of the features on the site, they are totally free, so enjoy those on us. Uh, again, that is freetalklive.com. So, I uh, wanted to talk about violent rhetoric tonight wanted to discuss something that has been uh, on the table recently in some of the activist forums and i think it's worthy of uh, discussion on the air because i know a lot of people feel the same way as i used to feel uh, about the government and using violence in response to their violence and so i, I think we need to get to have this discussion and ogre over at the new hampshire free press uh has really i think written out something that pretty much describes how I feel to a T. So I'm just going to read his words here. Um, And this is kind of in response, as I said, to some forum posts that recently have brought brought this discussion forward, and it's probably going to keep coming back, because a lot of people in the liberty movement come from a perspective of Second Amendment, you know, uh, that's how we defend our freedom, and the Second Amendment was uh, put there to defend from encroaching government, and this is all the things that we've been told about having guns, and the reason why uh, we're supposed to have them is to allegedly not just protect us from common criminals, but also from government criminals. But it turns out that it just doesn't work out like that. Well, and, and people like to be treated with respect. They like to be um, like to think that they're capable of making their own decisions, and when the government goes against or goes after the people, uh, the, they're pretty much going to lose. It's You can't stand up to government with violence or with force. It's a guaranteed death wish. They'll I mean, win, yeah. Then, then that's just it. If you want to have a chance at living in freedom, then then fighting back with firearms or a knife or whatever, fighting back with violence against the government aggressors is not going to get you to that point. Yeah, but to sit there and know that I haven't hurt anybody and this group is coming after me and they're making all of these demands and there is absolutely nothing that I can do about it just gets people, I think, so enraged. Well, there's not nothing that you can do. You can non-cooperate. You can be civilly disobedient. But if you want to live to fight another day or to stand another day, if you want to live to continue to live... Uh, then you can't pick up a weapon, and uh, that's just how it is. But let me go get to, uh, to to Ogre's post here. It's over at freekeen.com. You can read it for yourself. He says, I've been thinking more about pacifism and how to combat this government that is clearly no longer constitutionally or freedom-based, if it ever was. I have to admit, I used to be what Russell Canning, the publisher of the New Hampshire Free Press and a, a well-known pacifist in this movement, referred to as a gun cleaner, though I'd never heard the term. I am quite skilled with firearms, and I have more than one. I'd always vowed that the government would get me only after I fought back, led first. I was and am perfectly willing to be killed by the government because I know where I'm going after that time. However, after reading and watching so much of the freedom activities in New Hampshire, and certainly I've got to give Russell a lot of credit, and I would Sam as well, only really figured this out before Sam was, uh, just before Sam was kidnapped, I've changed my views, and I would encourage others to change as well. Am I a pacifist now? I don't think so. 
And not just because of the age-old societal view that makes me a wimp because I won't fight back. I'm just not all the way there. I am, for example, willing to use violence against someone who's trying to hurt me or my family, a private someone, basically. It may be wrong in some circles, but I am willing to do it. At the same time, I am now a pacifist when it comes to government. You see, the government, which includes all people who are employed by government or obtain cash from the government, is nearly unlimited. In addition, it's the same, this same government now has a dedicated group that's also very large that is as close-knit as many families. And the members of this group are trained in violence and how to use it. And they will blindly follow any instructions of that government, no matter what. Does this mean they would round up people and throw them into concentration camps? Honestly, I believe they would. Some might not. But some sure would. The government has been training these law enforcement officers to do one thing and one thing only. Obey orders. Remember that classic scene from The Fugitive where the innocent man says, I didn't do anything, and the law enforcement officer says, I don't care? Well, that is law enforcement today. They obey orders and simply will not question them. They're just doing their job, and this is about the law, people. They need a paycheck. they, They can't make moral judgments on their own because... It might put them in danger of challenging the the paradigm that they hold, or it would put them in danger of losing their paycheck. I mean, even right. if they even if they understand where we're coming from, and even if they agree with some of the principles of uh, freedom, they have a pension that's going to take care of them very nicely for the rest of their life. They want to put their kids through college or whatever. There's certain motivations that are in play that just say to them, better to not rock the boat. Uh, so they will follow the orders, and that's what they're trained to do. In addition, the same group of people is trained to deal with violence. It's what they expect. They know what to do with anyone who's violent, and that is, treat them like an animal. Anyone who's captured by law enforcement is to them less than human. Anyone who's been in a jail cell will be able to tell you that. If you know someone who's a prison guard, ask them about it. It's what these people do. Finally, these very same people, law enforcement, are completely blindly loyal to themselves and their leaders. If you use violence against them, you will lose. There is no other outcome. And there's more to this, but just to interject here. You might be free for a few hours while you're on the run, if you want to even consider that freedom. While they're gathering reinforcements to come and take care of you. And you can celebrate your moral victory in that short period of time as well, because you are morally in the right. I I think that that the government has aggressed and continues to aggress against peaceful people all day, day in and day out, uh, day after day, month after month, year after year. The aggression (laughs) is continuous and nonstop. And so I think that morally, yeah... It feels like you'd be in the right to just, you know, blast a few holes in some uh, some government agents, but it doesn't solve anything. It doesn't. It won't even solve anything inside you. It it just lowers you to their level. You then become the practitioner of violence, and you could say, well, but it's morally right because they aggressed against me, but. Do you want to live to be able to talk to someone about it uh, later on down the line? Because if you use violence in defense of the government's aggressions, they are going to team up against you. There are more of them than there are of you, and they will find you. They will dedicate days and nights to finding you and taking you out, and you will get a trial by cop. You will not get a trial in front of a judge. We already know how corrupt and awful judges are in in this country, but the cops aren't going to give you the chance to get to the courtroom. And the press is going to make you out to be this crazy lunatic, and they're going to reinforce the belief, people's belief, that we need government cops out there to keep us safe from From crazy lunatics. this guy. Yep. So there is no benefit. There is no benefit to you because you end up dead. 
And if you've got family members or people that are counting on you, then you're certainly not going to benefit them being dead. And there's no benefit to this movement either. You could say, well, even if I go out, I'll take five of them with me, and that's fine. And if everybody else takes five of them, then that'll take care of the problem. Well, it's the same reason the drug war doesn't end when the drug dealer gets arrested. Yeah. It's just another job opportunity. Somebody fills in. Exactly. They'll open it up. Maybe they'll have to pay him a little bit more, but that's okay. Or they'll maybe steal the, the guy that, that comes in will be a little more of a sadist, a little more aggressive. There's always that possibility uh, because he might, yeah, it might be more likely it's, to it's attract. more dangerous out there. Exactly. Uh, so the dangerous position is more likely to attract the sickos and the more violent people. So there is no benefit to this uh, to this practice, and it's so widely held in the uh, the liberty movement that well, if they just cross that line, which of course you don't really know where that line is. Most people don't know where their line is. They don't know when it would be crossed and what way it would be crossed. Will they really be prepared for it when the crossing comes? All of those are questions that there is no real good answer to. But there's more here to what Ogre has to say, and uh, and I am completely on board with him so far here. 800-259-9231. Maybe you're one of the gun polishers out there, uh, and you want to defend yourself. You're certainly welcome to. I, I have to say, it's been one of the more difficult personal journeys for me is to move away from the attitude of violence in return for their violence and toward peace. Yeah, I'm pondering the same question and something I struggle with as well. More on the way. You take control. Free Talk Live. They say we're hated for our freedoms. Their solution? Take away our freedoms. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. They spend both your lives and your money with reckless abandon. We're out of money now. We're operating uh, in deep deficits. One organization dares to dream of a world where nations compete for citizens instead of enslaving them. The Seasteading Institute is looking for pioneers to homestead the high seas and take civilization to the next level. Join the revolution at Seasteading. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's SACL CAI toll-free line tonight. It's Ian here with you. And Sam. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Features including... The bulletin board system. We've got over 450,000 posts. There's a lot to talk about there. Serious issues to fun stuff. You'll find it all free at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs.freetalklive.com. Do you enjoy making your own tools, doing your own repairs, and constructing things out of salvaged materials? If so, join James Ballou at paladinpodcast.com to learn what's in his new survival book, Makeshift Workshop Skills for Survival and Self-Reliance. Browse more than 800 other books and videos at paladinpress.com on topics like survival, firearms, martial arts, and more. Remember, paladinpress.com. Again, paladinpress.com. So sharing a blog post from freekeen.com actually lifted from the New Hampshire Free Press originally. I just thought it was so good. I was reading the New Hampshire Free Press today, and I thought this was so outstanding. It uh, deserved to be shared on the air because it, it brings up the issue of violence in response to government violence. And as Ogre, the article, um, the author, is pointing out, he's not a complete pacifist in that if, for instance, a common low-level criminal is to come into his home to try to rape his wife or, or steal something, then he's, he believes that it's, it's completely appropriate to use violence to rebuff 
the advances of someone like that. And the reason why is because nobody is going to look at that and say that he was in the wrong. Uh, most, at least most people are going to look at that and say you're a hero for protecting your family. But when the aggressors are men with badges and guns, men with uniforms calling themselves the police. Men with a, vin- a monopoly on violence. With, and with a uh, not just a monopoly, but also a, uh, a system of legitimacy right. that, that to the observer, to the common man who's been fully indoctrinated with the belief that government is necessary and government is good and all that, uh, they're going to look at that and they're going to say, if, you've, if you are violent against the government, then you're a crazy nut, nut job and you deserve to be stopped in your tracks. And there's no way to win with violence in that situation. Indeed, how has violence ever brought about a peaceful society? And in, in, in reality, it, it never really has, at least from, from my observations. If you want to get to peace, you have to be completely peaceful, uh, especially if we're talking about dealing with the government here. So um, we continue the story. He says, if you don't believe me, what he's talking about here is how it is that the law enforcement officers are just trained to follow orders. They're not going to uh, disobey. If they're told to cut you down, they're going to cut you down and on and on. He goes on to say, if you don't believe me, watch what happens when a call goes out over the radio of Officer Down. Dozens, if not more, of law enforcement officers will show up looking to kill somebody and get revenge. It's what they do. If you use violence against this sort of person, they will respond with more violence. It's what they understand. And isn't that the history of the world? Isn't violence begetting violence just where it has always been out there? That's what happens. You respond with violence, they respond with violence until somebody ends up dead. And then that just angers more people and more violence is, is brought about. The Iran situation, If uh, and I haven't been paying close attention to that, but the, the more violent a protest gets, the more likely the police are to respond with violence. Yeah, well, and those pr- protests have actually been very peaceful, uh, but the state is saying they are not going to tolerate it anymore, that they are going to be cracking down so... This is, you know, I I see the value in approaching things from a peaceful perspective, and I I, I'm this is something that I'm personally struggling with. I'm not ready to to get to the point where I am a complete pacifist, and I don't ever believe in using violence. It's so, it's something that's just kind of hard for me to let go of completely and say that uh, under no circumstances would I resort to using violence against someone. But what about against the government someone's? Oh, I see that there's just no point in That's that. That's the differentiation that he's making here. He's but saying if he it's, would... you know, if it's the government is just made up of people, if it would work with the government, with the people that have the monopoly on legitimate use of force, why wouldn't it work on just an ordinary person? You mean being peaceful? Yeah. Well, you know, isn't it a double standard to say, well, it's, you know, I believe in peace under these circumstances when I'm attacked by this specific group of people? Well, the problem there is that if you're talking about just a private criminal, just some crazy madman that is uh, going around slaughtering, let's say, young women, a Jeffrey Dahmer or something like that, who's uh, who's seducing women and then killing them in their apartments, uh, there's no – if if they are just submitting themselves to his knife and they aren't uh, defending themselves, then he can go on forever – and to kill as many women as he would like. And no one sees him as being legitimate in any way. So there would be no real consequences for the woman to defend herself in that particular case against the madman. Whereas there are consequences for defending yourself against the gang of, of men with badges calling themselves the state. 
uh, it's not that you're going to teach them a lesson necessarily by submitting to their violence. They're going to have their way with you, and they're going to hurt you, and mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be difficult. And you're probably going to end up in a jail cell for months or perhaps even years, depending on what silly charges they uh, they bring against you. But you can help change other people's minds in your in your peaceful actions uh, if you remain completely peaceful. I mean, let's go to the Iran situation where you've got protesters that are. I've seen some of the the, the I haven't seen video footage, but I've seen some of the the photos of the the police beating on people down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are beating on somebody and that somebody is being completely uh, nonviolent in return, then that just makes the police look bad. It, uh, it in the public's eye, it it reduces their level of legitimacy and it it harms their image and it makes them out to look more like the thugs that most people know. I think people that are at least in our camp, they know that these people are thugs. A lot of people kind of have the feeling that something is incredibly wrong, and these uh, examples. When you're completely peaceful and they're being violent, it shows crystal clear where the problem lies. Now, sure, there will still be plenty of people that blame the victim. Well, he shouldn't have been there or he should have been at that protest or whatever. Obviously, you're not going to convince everybody. But if you've been trying to show people that the police are the the violent thugs, this is how you do it. That's how you change minds. You're not going to change anybody's mind if you submit to Jeffrey Dahmer's knife. There's nothing, uh, you know, there's no real... There's no real win uh, in submitting to uh, to a private criminal. Whereas if you if you submit to the violence of the government, then there is at least a chance I think that you could live another day mm-hmm. and possibly a, and possibly live in a free world later on down the line. And Gandhi did this when he had the people line up. What was it at the salt mines? And they had the uh, security guards at the gate with billy clubs just beating the people in the face. And he had everyone wear white mm. so that the blood would be very visible. And mm-hmm. the papers were there to take pictures as they carried the people off to the side. And one after another just lined up to, to take a yeah. who are the criminals? club to the face. Who, are the, who, are the, who is the threat? Who are the criminals? If you're completely peaceful, it's clear that you are not the threat, that you are not the, the problem. And it's and for, I'm with you, Sam. It's tough for me too. It's tough for me to even sit here and say these things because I've just come to these these conclusions recently, and it's still something I wrestle with uh, in my mind. Especially when people will bring up, for instance, uh, well, what about the Jews, right? What about should they have not met the uh, the SS with clubs and, uh, and and resistance at the at their front door? And uh, the the fact is, uh, according to uh, well, I don't know if it's fact, but from what I understand, uh, one of the posts on NH3.com from uh, from Tom Sawyer points out that most of them went along with what they were ordered to do. Mm-hmm. Most of the Jews in Nazi Germany did as they were told. So there's a big difference between being completely obedient and being nonviolent and yet still resistant or, or non-cooperative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no, I'm not going to report to uh, the the induction center and 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 it's and uh and essentially yeah voluntarily <laughs> process myself into your system no i'm not going to do those things but i'm not going to violently resist at the same time so that's kind of a middle ground between being a completely obedient sheep and being a uh, a violent uh, re- resistor mm-hmm. so there's that middle ground there uh 800-259-9231 so back to ogre he says that the only way this government will be brought down using violence will be by a force that's tremendously huge i'm talking hundreds of thousands to a million people that are willing to use violence against them if you shoot one ten will quickly appear to take their place if you're not immediately killed by them which is highly likely then you'll be at the very least jailed for life and branded as something worse than people that smoke cigarettes. You'll be a cop killer. 
No, I can't say that I know what will bring down this government, but I am quite sure that it won't be done with violence unless the entire Chinese army makes landfall in California. Even terrorist bombs don't have a chance. Seriously, violence against this machine is completely pointless. Whereas I would say that violence in response to a Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody like that that's threatening your family or yourself personally is not pointless. There is a point to that. Uh, More on the way here. Uh, You can bring up anything. This is Free Talk Live. This program is brought to you by Freekeen.com. Freekeen.com features audio, video, and blogs chronicling the transition to a voluntary society. Freekeen.com also has comments and discussion forums so you can be heard. Freekeen.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. the SACL CAI toll-free line tonight. It's Ian with you. And Sam. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. The features we give to you, so enjoy those on us. And if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, then you can become an amplifier for as little as 3 bucks a month. We'll take that money in, reinvest it into the show, get on as many radio stations as we possibly can, bring as many people to the ideas of freedom as we can as well. And uh, so it's a big help to us. Plus, you get perks like access to the AMP-only call-in lines, chat room, forum, and more. All the details are at amp.freetalklive.com. Let's take your calls. There's still a little bit more to the story about violence versus uh, peaceful means to achieving a peaceful ends, uh, which, of course, would be to get rid of the government, get rid of institutionalized monopoly uh, violence, and uh, move on, evolve to a voluntary society. And I don't believe that we can peacefully evolve. I don't believe evolution to that point is possible without peace as the way. Yes. Uh, you cannot, what is it that, uh, tin, who is it that's the quote, the quote there? You're, Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh. <laughs> this is one of your, uh, your mentors. There is no way to peace. Peace, peace is, is the, the way. way. I love that. Uh, let's go to Phil in Mount Jackson listening to WSVG. Hello, Phil. How y'all doing this evening, hey, gentlemen? Just great. What's on your mind tonight? I wanted to chime in a little bit on the topic at hand. Sure. Um, especially what you were talking about earlier with uh, resisting law enforcement officers and so forth. And I think that a lot of your problem lies not necessarily within the officers themselves, as they, they're a bit more reactionary, but a lot of it's the fact that there's just simply way too much law out there in the first place that they have to uphold. Well, there's and, no doubt about that. I mean... Granted, a lot of times, and I honestly believe that maybe not the majority, but the, a large minority of the times where you see officers have to use force to someone resisting arrest, is something because the person is reacting to the fact that they had no idea there was a law that says they couldn't do whatever they were doing. Well, hold Probably on. True. Isn't the Bill of Rights there to guide police in some basic principles that they're there are to abide by? very true, but uh, since everything's kind of a trickle-down effect, the government themselves, by trampling all over the Bill of Rights with a lot of the laws they pass, and the officers, they are kind of put in a bit of a catch-22. Keep their job by enforcing the law, or use what they know to be common sense. So I believe that the officers, because they are looking out for themselves, looking out for their job, are choosing to enforce the law. Mm -hmm. While all good revolutions and rebellions start from the ground up and simply by officers turning around and saying, no, we're not going to enforce this law, it's not a fair law, it's not even a just law, would be helpful. 
at the same time, they all find themselves on the unemployment line as well. Yeah, yeah and that's so, what's going to be different, and that is what's different about what's happening in New Hampshire, is this is not a, a revolution or a rebellion where it's you know going to come about by violent means. What I think most of the liberty well, activists... All, well, not, I'll say this, not all revolutions and rebellions come through violent means. Right, well, but this is really about evolution. It's about educating these people, reaching out to them, talking to them about, look, here's what you're doing, here's the harm that it's causing, here's a, here's a solution that would take care of, address some of these core issues that we find over and over and over again in government, and keep putting that message in front of them until they start to come around and start to think a little bit differently about their situation, about what they're putting out into the world and, and what it is exactly that they're creating. And to add to that, in order to get them to think, you have to remain completely peaceful. Yes. If you engage in violence in response to their violence, they're never going to think anything but this is a, th- a thug and a criminal and I must do what it takes to stop him. Whereas if you're, uh, you're allowing them to be violent toward you and you're asking them throughout it, why are you hurting me? Why are you doing this to me? Or mm-hmm. whatever it is you can ask to, to get the gears turning. Like, I'm not violent. I'm not hurting you. Why are you behaving like this? And it's, it's compassion as well, understanding yeah. that... These people are doing what they think is best. This is the way they believe the world needs to be run, and that's why they're supporting it with, you know, by dedicating their lives to doing this for a paycheck. Nobody wants to turn the other cheek, but that's, I think, what the best solution to this is. It's the one. Uh, and I, I, I will say this: I believe that law enforcement, the ideal of upholding upholding the law, in and of itself, can be a noble profession. I think that a lot of the problem lies with the fact that there's a lot of laws that, unfortunately, they have to uphold, and they shouldn't be there in the first place. And I, while I do believe that officers should show should show, show some restraint, especially the people who are not acting in violent means. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of that's also conditioning on their part, yeah, or having to deal with people as well. I think a so, lot I mean, of I think them... there's a lot of, a lot of. Uh, a lot of things that you have, to, you have to take into uh, consideration before, you know, using too much of a broad brush when uh, dealing with uh, police officers as well. And I, I do agree with a lot of the tenets what you're saying, and I do believe that through civil and peaceful means you can achieve a lot more in a long run. Absolutely. Um, especially with especially with the law. Um, Great call and, tonight, Phil. And, and that's, that's, I could definitely say that, you know, revolution, rebellion, I know I use those terms, but in a sense it is. It's a revolution in thought. Well, no, it's not a, a revolution. And I have to say, I mean, generally I agree with what you said throughout the call, and I think it's been a great call, and I thank you for it, Phil, tonight. Uh, but this is one of the reasons why I've embraced the term evolution as opposed to revolution, because definitions are important, and words are powerful, and words are tools. If you're saying revolution, what you're saying is going back around to the beginning, revolving, like a revolving door. You're never getting anywhere. You're just starting over from the beginning yeah, again. throw so, these guys out, and let's get a new group of people in here with a new set of rules and try and make the same thing happen. It doesn't work. Uh, it has to be, to, in order to achieve a truly peaceful, voluntary society, it must be achieved through peaceful means, and that's the only way that you can evolve to the next step. Taking the next step in mankind's uh, evolution is to make that choice to rise above what has come before. And what has come before is history repeating itself over and over again. One violent uh, group of uh, thugs calling themselves government, ruling over others till they're finally resisted to the point of you know violence, to they're overthrown, and then those who are leading the resistance take the, the seats of power, and, and like you're saying, it starts all over again. We have to make a conscious choice to put all that aside and to say, no, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. 
I want to move on beyond this violence begets violence to where peace can beget peace. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction that needs to be made. Um, I don't want to get rid of government. I don't want to do away with it. I don't want to tear it, tear them down or whatever. I really want to be left alone, and that's a very peaceful uh, stance to take. And it just shows, you know, the government people for what they are, for what they are, you know, their uh, design forces them into. They have to lash out at people when their authority is challenged. And it just Mm -hmm. shows this is what underlies this entire system. And that's why I think civil disobedience is so powerful. Ogre says in his article at freekeen.com, I would humbly suggest that the only chance one has against this government is pacifism. Only by clogging the gears and overloading will the system be slowed. I would suggest that enough people would be able to show the government that the system doesn't work. Enough people in the system might get one or two of these government workers to actually understand that those who are jailed are actually people. I think what Sam is doing is great work, even if it is at great cost. And I'm not even suggesting that people intentionally go out and violate laws to point out their absurdity, like Andrew, uh, Andrew Carroll, who did the mm-hmm. marijuana thing. Uh, no, I don't have anything against his action, and I think Andrew did an excellent thing to help liberty. I think that that type of an action is really good. It's just not for everyone. Then again, just imagine what the police would have done if they showed up just as they were arresting Andrew. Another person showed they had a marijuana leaf in their hand, and then a third, and then another. How would they have arrested a hundred people who all refused to give their names? Sorry, just dreaming there for a minute, he says. And that's a wonderful dream. It's a dream that I, that I share. And unfortunately, we're not to the point where we've got even a hundred people that can attend a protest like that, let alone actually engage in the civil disobedience. But he's absolutely right. That That is all it would take. A hundred people may not be able to swing an election, though it's certainly possible in New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. but a hundred people doing civil disobedience would crush the system. They wouldn't be able to schedule all those trials. The the state wouldn't be able to afford to pay for all of the trials. If if all of those a hundred didn't give their names, sat sat in jail cells quietly and peacefully, and uh, and then proceeded to, to demand trials... They'd have to throw all those cases out and and stop arresting those folks. You know, maybe it's not 100, maybe it's 50, maybe it's 200, maybe it's 500. Maybe it's 20. But somewhere there is a number to where the state will not know how to deal with it, and they're going to have to change. They had to call out all the cops on duty in the surrounding <laughs> area when the disorderly six were arrested after you were arrested. They managed to handle you because you were all by yourself. Then six other guys ended up getting arrested. Only one or two of them were were somewhat disobedient. One of them was as uh, disobedient as you in that they went, uh, Patrick went completely limp. But it still took every single cop. They called in the state troopers. They called in uh, the sheriffs, who are normally not involved in doing arresting or anything like that. They had to call everybody in for six people. So 20? Hmm. 20, I think, is, is a real magic number as far as I'm I, The more the merrier, the more we get, the more we can experiment, the more things that we can try that have never been tried before in the arena of peace. Yep. All right. Uh, hour three is on the way. Uh, you can take a, bring up anything here. I know that somebody's on the line still wants to talk about this. So we can continue this conversation. Anything goes. It is Free Talk Live. This is Tim Lewis from iFreedom Direct and a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom. On your feet! I want you to know that as a member or veteran of the U.S. military, reserves, or National Guard, you have special rights and privileges earned through your service to your country, including special VA loan programs not available to the general public. You could purchase a new home with no down payment. 
or refi your home up to 100% of your home's equity. You've earned these benefits through your dedication and service. iFreedom Direct, a direct VA lender, can help you discover whether you and your property qualify. Get the details at varadio.com. That's varadio.com. iFreedom Direct Corporation is a private lender approved by the VA and licensed in most states. In certain states, certain restrictions and limitations apply. For a current list of licenses, disclosures, and all benefits, go to varadio.com. 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 Here's Free Talk Live. Toll free number 800 259 9231. The SACL CAI toll free line tonight. It's Ian with you. And Sam. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All of the features are completely free, so enjoy those on us. Again, Free Talk Live. Dot com. We'll take your calls about anything, and we'll start out by going across the pond to Sean in the UK. Sean, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Sam. Hey, guys. Hey. hey, Sean, back off the phone a little bit there. It sounds like you've got it uh, halfway down your throat. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Still sounds that How way. How are you doing? Anyway, uh, we'll, you say what you have quickly. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I just wanted to... Uh... That's better. Say, do, do you guys know about the country whales in the UK? How aware of you are in America? The country Wales or the country of Wales? Scotland, yes. The country Wales. What about, what about it? It's, well, um, I did some research on the uh, internet and I was quite surprised in what I found really because it seems that only 33% of Americans only actually know where the country of Wales is. I couldn't tell you where Wales is. How many countries are in the UK? I don't even really know what their uh, political organization is up there. I know there's Scotland and... Well, I, Wales is not Scotland. Scot this uh Wales, England, Ireland and Scotland. Well the Welsh government was taken over uh by the English government. So um I think Americans don't really know that we exist because we're not really classed as a country, we're just joint with uh, uh England. So it's so wait a minute, is it Wales, England, uh Scotland and Ireland or is it just England and now Wales is part of England? Wales is a part of England, but we still have our country's name, yeah. Where is it physically? I know, like, uh, um, if you go from, from bottom to top, there are more people than sheep, then more sheep than people, <laughs> and then it goes back to more people than sheep. <laughs> well, if you go um, to London and uh-huh. you look to the uh, west, you'll see Wales. is like It looks like Britain, but just a mini um, is it one of the islands not, off of the uh, coast? No, it's um, it's just next to England, to okay. the left-hand side of England. Sorry, we don't know no, where I your country that. is. And I've been over there many times. So <laughs> this should be a shame. <laughs> so what, it was, were you calling to give us a geography lesson or something else? No, I just um, thought you just should know. There's not many, Amer- many Americans you know, and I thought you'd find it interesting. Well, very good. Thank you for the call tonight. Appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. So Wales used to be a country, but isn't its own country anymore, but still has the same name as it used to have, but is actually part of England. Uh, yeah, That's what I learned from that. I think so. All right. 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. Uh, so there's uh, there's another story in the news here that I think is worthy of discussion, and that is from, speaking of the U.K., 
This is from Times Online over in the UK, and this could very easily be happening right here. Actually, it is happening right here. Excuse me, Minnesota. They're just reporting on it in the UK. A woman in Minnesota has been ordered to pay $80,000 per song to record companies for illegally downloading tracks and violating copyright laws. As millions and millions of Americans and people around the world do on a daily basis. This woman got caught. A federal jury ruled that Jamie Thomas Rassett willfully violated the copyrights on 24 songs and awarded record companies $1.92 million. Now, if they think they can actually get even 80000 from this woman, yeah. they're out of their minds. The single mother of four. You don't really have to say much more than that. This woman's <laughs> probably struggling to put food on the table. Uh, she's not going to have the uh, the ability to pay anything significant towards these record companies. Well, you know, it's her own fault. They offered her a settlement of three to five thousand dollars before before the trial, so she could have taken that. Ian, the single mother of four from Minnesota, was found liable for using the Kazaa peer-to-peer file-sharing network to download songs over the internet. She's 32, had been convicted previously in October of tw- uh, 2007, and ordered to pay 220 thousand in damages. But the judge who presided over that trial threw out the verdict and ordered a retrial after he misdirected the jury. The Recording Industry Association of America and big music labels have sued thousands of people for downloading and sharing music illegally, with most agreeing to settlements of between three and $5,000. Thomas Rassett was the first among those being sued to refuse a settlement, and instead took the case to court, turning her into the highest-profile digital pirate in America. And I say good for her uh, for not giving in and bowing down. But, of course, they did what they do to people that take things to trial in many cases, and that is slap them with the maximum possible fine. Uh, She said, or punishment, she sat glumly, chin in hand, as she heard the jury's finding of willful infringement, which increased the potential penalty. She raised her eyebrows in surprise when the jury's penalty of $80,000 per song was read out. Now, I have to wonder... How would a jury nullification uh, outreach in this particular, in a case like this, end up working out? How likely is it that on a jury of 12 people, that one of those 12 people has themselves actually downloaded some music from the Internet? How likely? I don't know how likely it is because juries probably tend to be a little on the older side and they do try to cut out people that uh, that have an opinion about you know the the case and most people don't know better than to keep their mouth shut when they're going through a jury selection process. And you can bet those prosecutors were looking for anybody with a blackberry that might be tech savvy. Yeah. Get rid of that person. Yeah put all a bunch of Luddites on the jury and then Mm -hmm. a jury of her peers right. Uh, Outside the courtroom she called the 1.92 million figure kind of ridiculous but expressed resignation over the decision. She said there's no way they're ever going to get that. I'm a mom. Limited means so I'm not going to worry about it now. Her lawyer said that he and his client had not decided whether to appeal or pursue the settlement overtures. Cara Dockworth for the RIAA said the industry remained willing to settle. She refused to name a figure, but acknowledged that Thomas Rassett had been given the chance to settle for three to $5,000 earlier in the case. Since day one, we've been willing to settle this case, and we remain willing to do so, she said. Oh, how nice. So friendly. In December, the RIAA said it would stop suing people who download music illegally to concentrate instead on getting Internet service providers to take action. This move away from litigation represented an important shift in strategy for the music industry group, which had filed lawsuits in the U.S. against some 35,000 people for online music piracy since 2003. And as Anthony Gregory over at LouRockwell.com pointed out today over on the blog, this is such a sign that these companies have no idea what they are doing. 
I mean, the, the whole idea that you are going to sue your potential customers, that your cus- people who would otherwise be possibly have a potential of buying a product from you, you bring them to court and you threaten them and you expect anybody to look at you as, as a hero and, uh, and look at you and say, yeah, I want to support a company that does that to people. Well, look, CDs have been out since, what, the late 80s? Yeah. How mm-hmm. else are they going to uh, hold on and force this old antiquated technology on consumers? Apparently, well, apparently that's what they're trying to do. And it's just pathetic. And I think that uh, if anybody's still buying CDs, they need to really stop. Yeah. Because you're just putting money, you're not putting money in the artist's pocket when you buy a CD. Uh, there's like a quarter or 50 cents that mm-hmm. goes to the artist out of that. Uh, send them a donation on their website if you want to support the artist. Go and buy a concert ticket. Uh, buy a T-shirt from their website. You'll, they'll probably get more money in their pocket from buying a shirt on their site uh, than you buying a CD at a store. And uh, so, t- so buying CDs is putting money into the pockets of these companies, and they're using that money. They they were using it to go after people. Now they're claiming they're not going to do that anymore. Instead, they're going to focus on ISPs penalizing the illegal file sharers. Is one of the proposals in a dig- uh, digital Britain report published this week. In her testimony, Ms. Thomas Rassett denied she shared any song. She She is a self-described huge music fan, raised the possibility that for the first time in a long-running case that her children or ex-husband might have done it. The defense didn't provide any evidence that any of them had shared the files. But how can you tell? How can you prove that it was her? If you're behind a firewall and you've got three different computers behind that firewall, one for you, one for your husband, one for your kid... There's no way for them to identify where those packets came from if they're behind that firewall, at least as I understand it. And so it's a completely legitimate claim to say it wasn't me, it was somebody else. But if it was her name that was on the cable account, then apparently she's responsible for it. Mm Mm-hmm. So if her husband's downloading child porn, is she also responsible for that, too, because her name's on the account? Well, no, then they'd have to catch somebody. They'd have to catch somebody? I, I would think so. They couldn't just charge the person on the bill. Oh, I don't know, man. What if yes. somebody went into a chat room and they sent a child porn uh, picture to them and then uh, they said, well, it came from this IP address, so you're responsible. But if there's four people in the house, they're not going to charge them all and they can't just randomly pick one. They charge the person who's on the bill. You you're responsible for I everything that goes on on I your I think we're seeing a double standard here. Maybe. I don't know. 800-259-9231 is the SACL CAI toll-free line. You can bring up anything, and does anybody actually support what the record companies are doing? We'd love to hear from you. Free Talk Live. Become a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 per month. You'll get perks, and you'll help us free more minds worldwide. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the SACL CAI toll-free line. It's 1-800-259-9231. And I think, Sam, you and I, we're going to do an extended edition tonight. Uh, Great. Extended AMP-only, uh, or AMP-sponsored, rather, uh, internet bonus edition of the show. So if you're listening on the internet, uh, stay tuned after the radio show is over, because we'll keep things going. Because you have a, a letter that you received in jail that is just way too long to read on the radio. Uh, but it's just so darn good. I feel like it'd be a shame that it. I, it would be a shame if it were only your eyes and mine that uh, that had read this letter. So. Yeah, I agree. And it came in anonymously. I don't even know who sent it. You got a lot of anonymous mail through mail to jail, didn't you? I did. Yes. Uh, which is very interesting. We'll continue uh, with that in a little while. We're going to take your calls because that's what the show is about. 
And we'll talk to Steve in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Sam. Hello, Steve. Steve in New Hampshire. Hey, uh, did you think that Dave in New Hampshire was Steve in New Hampshire? Apparently, the board operator didn't ask you uh, twice what your name was. Hey, uh, maybe okay, Dave that's right. Dave. They but, try um, their best. They're yeah. doing a great job nor- almost all the time. Sometimes hey, misspellings speak- happen. Speaking of Sam in jail, I, I just now saw the video that Lauren Canario, I think, shot. <laughs> it's got the shot of his uh, of his male. It's the freak. It's almost as tall as he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was this the one that uh, she took when Sam was getting out of jail, when you can actually see him uh, leave jail yeah, in the jail clothes? he could barely carry his mail. I'm sure you guys already reported that. It's just cool to see it. Well, there were some uh, some Dunkin' Sticks in there, too. And, Lots uh, of junk food, too. Yeah, some but, junk food. And that was only half the mail that I carried <laughs> out of there. I had to send half of it out uh, a couple weeks earlier. I laid it wow. all out on the dining room table, Dave, last night, and uh, I mean, it's probably at least 300 pieces of mail between all of the postcards and envelopes. I had to stop keeping each individual on- envelope and group all of the letters from one day together into one because, you know, it was just taking up too much space. And thank you so much. Dave sent me postcard after postcard letting me know what was going on. Uh, they were all old postcards of government buildings. One of them, the... Hmm. The shot was crooked, and he's like, it must be a government employee that took this picture. <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, it was a crooked horizon. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I may, get my, I may get my chance to do a little getting of postcards, too, because I, to, I go to trial on the 22nd for doing the same thing. That's right. Your but trial uh, think... for recording in the very same public court lobby it was actually your arraignment that Sam was arrested uh, at for doing the same thing that you did, and so now you're going to have your trial actually before Sam is going to have his. Have they set a trial date for you at this point, Sam? They have. It's next month. Uh, something okay. to change. All right. So, uh, so d- wait. Uh, Dave, when is yours happening? It's on the 22nd of June. 22nd. Um, and it's another activist being tried the same day. Well, same actually, here's a little bit of breaking news on that. According to uh, one of the activists here, Coconut, uh, Nick, Nick Ryder from LifeProductions.com, he went, I guess, into court to file a, a motion to record both your trial and, and David's trial, who was one of the disorderly six that was arrested after Sam uh, for, for not leaving the, the lobby when ordered to. And David's trial has been delayed because Rivera, the police prosecutor, was supposed to be a, a, a witness in the trial, and apparently he broke his wrist. So they've delayed the trial until he can go to the hospital and, and get that taken care of. So I don't know if Rivera was going to be testifying or prosecuting in your case. There's a chance they may have delayed it. You may want to look into that. Uh, they'll, they'll probably be sending notice, but if it doesn't get to you on time, then they'll probably tell you when you get there. So you may want to check with the, the court on that. Otherwise, I'm sure you'll have a good group of activists turning out. I'll just probably shoot, shoot them an email or give them a call on uh, on that morning. Um uh, because I have to call it that late. But what's your plan? I mean, let's presume it actually does go on, uh, Dave. What uh, you're being charged with disorderly conduct, which is the charge that they dropped. One of the charges they dropped on Sam. So, what do you? Uh, what's your plan as far as approaching this? Well, I had a, I had promised from the beginning before I even did it that I would accept either community service or jail, but I wouldn't pay a fine. So from what I understand about kind of the way they work, they probably would uh, go toward community service, but I won't enter a plea. And uh, so I guess if I have to, if, they, if there has to be a plea for there to be community service, then I'd probably get jailed. Well, no, the plea comes at the arraignment. The, the plea comes at the arraignment. That's where you've already gone to the yeah. arraignment, and if you don't enter a plea, then the judge is authorized and mandated basically to enter a plea of not guilty. Right. So you're in right. as a not guilty whether or not you wanted to be. 
And uh, as far as them uh, coming up with a community service, it's very likely something like that will happen. Though I think you've got uh, you know you've got grounds to actually fight the uh, the case on you know the fact that well you dropped the charges on Sam. Why are you still going through with this on me? And I haven't even read the statutes, but uh, Sam, you'd looked at the disorderly conduct statute, right? Yeah, uh, the difference, uh, the point that we drew out in uh, the demure that uh, Ivy filed was that disorderly conduct, they can order you to leave a place, but what Rivera did was actually order me to stop doing something, stop recording, which doesn't meet the uh, standard for the statute. It may, in your case, Dave, I don't know. So that's if you want to actually... I just made it my plan from day one to make no legal arguments and just go in there and embrace the penalty. Well, one of the things Um, I love about this movement is that every time somebody gets into a situation with the state, something different is tried. Uh, You're going to do something different from what Sam would have done, from what uh, what Ivy would have done, from what the the disorderly six are planning on doing. I mean, the six people that were arrested for disorderly conduct after you were arrested, Sam, they all want to try different things. They do. And so, really, it's like throwing a whole bunch of stuff up against the wall and seeing what sticks. And so, I I wish you good luck, Dave, and I'll be there to uh, support you. I mean, his thing was very robust. It was much more robust. To what I'm trying to do, yeah. Um, so I think I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be the spark that follows the giant fire. But um, but I, I you know I'm good to talk to you, Sam, and it's really neat to have you out. I'm glad some of the stuff apparently got to you. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, is your trial at 1:30 in the afternoon on uh, the 22nd? Scheduled for 1:30, and I think Eli is the prosecutor. So um, well, they may have switched it just... to the other guy. They may have switched it to the. Uh, Chris McLaughlin, uh, the, the yeah, the, county the, prosecutor. They hired somebody, I basically. I give him a shout today and find out if my trial was still on, but I forgot about it. So. Well, if it's not, if it's still going, then what a great opportunity for people that are coming up for the Porcupine Freedom Festival. If you're getting uh, to New Hampshire a few days early, great opportunity to come out and experience what it's like to be in a courtroom situation with these activists and, and sit down for a judge for the first time, for instance. I mean, again, talking about earlier on the show, uh, doing a little dabbling in non-cooperation, sitting for a judge when they say all rise, staying, remaining seated is a very powerful first step. I remember the first time I did that, my adrenaline was uh, was on high, and I was very, very nervous about what the consequences might possibly have been, but it ended up working out fine. The judge didn't even do anything uh, about it, didn't barely even uh, noticed that it was going on. Um, so great opportunity. If da- if Dave's trial is still happening on the 22nd, the best way to keep up on this is to, of course, watch the Ridley Report at RidleyReport.com. I'm sure, Dave, you'll post a video if it's been delayed. Uh, and, of course, Freekeen.com, the forum's there. There's a thread where it's about Dave's trial, and that will be updated as uh, as is necessary. But if you're coming up here and you were planning on arriving to Porkfest a few days early and you're going to be in the, the New, New England area on the 22nd, great reason to come out to Keene and, uh, and attend and, and support Dave Ridley in, in his trial. Do you know if they granted Nick permission to videotape, or is he going to have to wait until the, the new date is set? I believe he did have permission, yes. That's good. Okay, it's good to keep track of where they're heading with the, the right to, to record thing. That's what this was all about, so... Well, they actually did uh, allow just the other day when Sam had gone in there to take care of some paperwork. Uh, one of the other activists was with him with a video camera and recording the clerks, and the bailiffs knew it. And Rivera came wow. up to the window right next to me. Yep. So they didn't say <laughs> they didn't say word one about the camera, which was very nope. interesting. So Dave, uh, thank another. you, sir. Keep us in the loop with what's going on. Always good hearing from you. RidleyReport.com. His website does a great job of keeping up to date. Uh, keeping news updates coming out about what's happening here in New Hampshire. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. 
Are you an active free stater living in New Hampshire? Are you and your family moving to New Hampshire in the near future? A new web series about the Free State Project is currently casting. Interested? Send us a short video about yourself. Tell us what you're doing or planning on doing to achieve liberty in your lifetime. Show us what makes you interesting. Upload your video to YouTube and send the link to fspwebseries at gmail.com. Don't have a video camera? Ask about other submission options. fspwebseries at gmail.com. Your show, you take control of the airwaves, toll-free, 800-259-9231. The SACL CAI toll-free line. Tonight, it's Ian with you. And Sam. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features we give away, so enjoy those on us. Uh, By the way, those features include the Shrine of Female listeners, dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send us their validated photo and prove they listen to the show. Just head over to shrine.freetalklive.com, and you can see it for yourself. That's Shrine. FreeTalkLive.com. Audible.com is the Internet's leading provider of spoken audio entertainment. You can listen whenever and wherever you want, just like a podcast. In fact, Audible has over 60,000 titles from which to choose. Every genre, Audible has it covered. Get a free audiobook download when you sign up today. Just go to AudiblePodcast.com slash FTL. So if you want your free audiobook, that's the URL you need. It's AudiblePodcast.com slash FTL. As we continue taking your calls about what you want, it's Brad in California. You're on Free Talk Live. Hello, Brad. Brad, California, going once. Hello? Hey, you're on the air, Brad. What's on your mind tonight? Well, I'm just looking for a little bit of advice, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I recently made the jump from being a minarchist to a voluntarist. Excellent. And I, I can't help but kind of find myself getting a little bit bitter. Bitter about what? There's just, like, no one around here that would agree with me. And whenever I try to explain my beliefs, people just act like I'm crazy. Yeah. Have you gotten in heated arguments with your family yet? couple. Yeah. So, wait a minute. You mean you didn't get this when you were a minarchist? Not as much, but a little bit. Well, I can say I, uh, I understand where you're coming from. I've been there. Uh, I've had the arguments with my uh, my mom and... Just got to move on, you know. You got to get away from people like that. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know, it's um, it was a stage that I went through where I, I, you know, started listening to Free Talk Live. I was well indoctrinated into the government ideology, and as I started to listen, I I agreed with Mark and thought this Ian guy was kind of crazy and you know nuts on some of his issues and just wrong. And uh, as I slowly moved closer and closer, yeah, at some point when I said. No, we should we should do away with government police, with government roads, with government this that. When you get step out of that paradigm, it really challenges people's beliefs, and they respond with anger because you're in in, in essence you're challenging their view of the world. And we you're all, telling them they were wrong essentially. Yeah, we all like to be right, and so that can trigger a hostile defense. Well, the and, longer you feel like you've been right, the more difficult it can be to admit that you are wrong. Yes, exactly. Well, I guess you're right, Sam. I mean, you can't run forever from that that sort of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you sure you could run here to New Hampshire to try to escape uh, the California's attitudes, and you might have a little bit more of a positive response from people in New Hampshire, but you're still going to run up against that brick wall of, yeah, of people sure. that just don't understand. So that's where learning persuasion yes. uh, tactics comes into play. Yeah, with time, I was able to move past that to where I can present my message in a way that's less threatening to people that they they can kind of sit and think about it, and it still challenges, you know, what their beliefs are, but does it without triggering uh, animosity or anger back at me because of the way I've done it. 
And now, uh, dad's one of my biggest fans, and mom even listens to the show. Dad's thinking about moving up here, right? Yeah. So, so there is hope, Brad. Uh, as you said, you're brand new to uh, to embracing the idea of voluntarism. And for our listeners that don't know, how would you define it? How would I define voluntarism? Yes, sir. Um, basically, that all like human interactions should be voluntary, and there's no justification for force. Yeah, that's, I think that's pretty good. Uh, I think Johnson was talking about the term consensualist as well, which is one I've thrown out there in the past. I like that, too. In fact, I might even like it more than voluntarist, just because the term voluntarist tends to confuse some people into thinking that you think everything should be volunteer. Like well, you should I follow work for free. Up, I follow up with that by saying I believe that the private market can handle some of the problems that arise uh, in society in a, in a more effective way than government can. Yeah, I mean, that, you can explain it, certainly, but I, I just don't know if consensualist is as confusing as voluntarist, but then again, maybe they're equally as confusing, and I'm just viewing it from I would my skewed so. perspective. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, congratulations on uh, making that change. And since you are brand new uh, to the ideas of voluntarism, it's going to take a little time to really internalize them and, and become better at, at communicating them to others. However, I, do, I would say that it's going to be easier uh, in a place where you're surrounded by like-minded people. I mean, you're out in California. It's got to be difficult even to be small government uh, out, in, uh, out in California. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here in New Hampshire, um, I've been here now for th- almost three years, since uh, September of 2006. And I was commenting um, on the, the, my recent appearance on Talkback. Uh, appearance, rather, on Talkback, which is a local talk radio show here in the Keene area they have on Saturday mornings. I've been calling for years. They had me in uh, as a, as a uh, guest host once, and then this past, last Saturday, they had me in for a half an hour just as a guest. So I wasn't guest hosting with them. I was just appearing as a guest. And I would say it was the best, uh, best one yet, um, simply because we've been here so long and consistently putting out the message of freedom that people are slowly starting to come around and see, number one, they know we're not leaving. Uh, number two, that uh, they're just over time being just p- pounded with this uh, pro-freedom message. It, some of it has to sink in because it's so logical, because it makes so much sense. I didn't have one vitriolic, hateful, uh, angry caller call in while I was on the air. Now, to be fair, I was only on for a half an hour, and so maybe they just didn't get through. Uh, but I did kind of take it as a as a sign that that things are moving in the right direction. And, th- and then when you've got enough people that are saying the same things as you consistently through different formats, we've got Free Minds TV on the air, we've got Free Talk Live, we've got news, we've got the newspaper, the New Hampshire Free Press, and we've got all of the activists that are out doing their activism and, and uh, working in the community and doing uh, volunteering with the community kitchen and things like that. We've got so many different points of entry for people to find this message, so many different ways to express it that it's inevitable they're going to come across it and they're going to come across more and more people that are espousing it. And the fact is, if you're one lonely guy that's shouting in the wilderness, uh, in a wilderness of statism, it's going to be very difficult for your message to, to find the ears that, it, that it's looking for. But if you have more than one person on your side, then it, it automatically gain, uh, lends legitimacy to what it is that you're, that you're saying. And Brad, how much uh, reading have you done? Have you listened to The Market for Liberty or picked up other books that are talked about on the show? Yeah, actually, it was The Market of Liberty that kind of convinced me. Okay, have you gone on to, like, uh, Economics in One Lesson from Henry Hazlitt or some of the others? Yeah, I've glanced through it. I have um, The Machinery of Freedom. I don't know if you've heard of it. 
I was not a fan. Uh, I did read the Machinery of, Freedom, Machinery of Freedom. It's written by David Friedman, the son of Milton Friedman. Okay. And it was just a little too academic for my taste. But for somebody that likes a, a good academic read, uh, it's I think it's a pretty it's a pretty good one for yeah, academic types. Yeah, okay. That yeah. that was something that really helped me kind of refine my message and and presented in a less threatening way with better examples. Reading. Yeah, mean? reading these books and getting these underlying principles and how the free market would work. And then it it was just a matter of being able to fill in with enough real-life examples that I could pull from for any given subject. And, uh, you know, now it's rare that I get somebody that's upset when I start talking to them about liberty. Are you a free state of red? Uh, yeah, I'm actually planning on moving there within the next couple of years. Ah, that is so exciting. I, right. There are so many people that say, you know, 2011, 2012, 2010, there are going to be, I think, big influxes of people within the next two, three, uh, certainly four years. But within the oh, next yeah. two years, it's going to be big. So, Brad, yeah, thanks. Yes, sir? Oh, yeah, I hope. You hope what? Oh, I just, yeah, I hope a lot of people are going to oh. be moving there within the next few years. <laughs> it seems inevitable. I mean, just from the, the indicators I've seen, message board posts, people saying things on Free Talk Live. The letters uh, I got in the mail yeah. while I was in jail. Absolutely. It's coming, and the the politicians are just now starting to realize that we aren't going away. I still don't think they understand what's on what's coming next, uh, but they're, they're coming to the conclusion I, that things are changing. I think it's starting to dawn on them just yep. what they're up against. Thanks, Brad, for the call tonight, and good luck out there. I know it can be frustrating. Uh, but if you if you if you're dealing with somebody who's just not even listening or is a really bad prospect, you're in California. There are millions of people there. Find somebody else who's more receptive to your message. There will be somebody. Uh, don't spend too much time on somebody that is is basically just a, you know sucking your efforts away and not not even taking a step toward understanding. And these things do take time. You have to plant seeds, and you're not going to be able to convert somebody uh, to voluntarism the first time you talk to them. And, in fact, you may be one of the worst people to do it. Uh, If they know you really well, they may not really want to hear what you have to say. Uh, Family members, for instance, can be the the most difficult uh, to convert over because they know you, and they know how wrong you've been in your life. (laughs) And uh, you're probably wrong about this, too. They shouldn't listen to what you have to say. But that's when you can hand them an episode of Penn and Teller's BS or John Stossel over on ABC or, you know, uh, get them to tune into Free Talk Live or Complete Liberty. In fact, one of the hosts of Complete Liberty is on the line here. Uh, we'll talk to Paul in moments, who is in California, and uh, maybe he'll have something to say to this. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. Only moments remain. Enough time for your call if you make it right now. 800-259-9231. That's the Sickle CAI toll-free line tonight. It's Ian with you. And Sam. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are completely free, and if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, one of the ways you can do that is by promoting us. And there are a variety of different ways in which you can help promote the show. And we enumerate them all at promote.freetalklive.com. That's promote.freetalklive.com. Dot com. Also, we haven't mentioned your website yet tonight, Sam. Uh, ObscuredTruth.com is your main site. It is. And uh, they can go, uh, our listeners can go there to see what it is that you do uh, as far as your activism. I think your most, some of your best activism is not necessarily doing non-cooperation, but the uh, persuasive, wonderful video packages uh, that you've been putting together over the last couple of years. Yeah, and uh, it's a little out of date. It hasn't been updated for a couple months. Because you've been in jail. <laughs> right. But you've got a whole lot of footage. I know that uh, last time uh, we had talked about this, you had told me that you were sitting on a whole lot of footage, and it was just a matter of having the time to sit down and do it. And you had begun, 
processing through that right before you were put in jail. So I'm mm-hmm. sure something new will be coming from Obscured uh, Truth Networks pretty soon. Yeah, we were. I'm putting together a video on Hempfest, which was shot a few hours before uh, I was arrested. And some of the uh, local activists have started stepping up to just help me out with uh, editing to learn the, the production side. Very cool. All right, so let's go to your phone calls. Uh, that's what the show is about. We'll talk to Paul in California. Paul, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Sam. And are you still one of the hosts of uh, Complete Liberty Podcast? Uh, yes, I am. In fact, uh, I'm hoping to do another one uh, this weekend with uh, the, <clears throat> the redoubtable Wes Bertrand, who is uh, the author of the book Complete Liberty, which is also available as a podcast. Yep, uh, uh, both of you are free staters, and so Brad, who was in California, called in a few moments ago, was expressing how lonely he felt. Uh, he's not the only voluntarist in the state of California. Absolutely not, but uh, I won't be in, in California forever. <laughs> Excellent. How soon are you planning on leaving? Uh, well, it depends how soon I can retire. My employer currently is uh, talking about an early retirement package. Otherwise, uh, the worst-case scenario would be four and a half years. Hey, early oh. retirement sounds pretty good. What a great way to, you know, get a down payment on a house up here, or maybe better than that, and a uh, perfect excuse to move. So I, I wish you good luck with that. What were you calling about tonight? Well, uh, first of all, I want to thank both you and Sam. I reclaim a phrase that is used uh, currently to describe uh, men who take guns at the orders of some uh, the government and shoot people and break things. And instead, I'd like to thank you for your service. <laughs> in Aww. being willing to stand up and be put behind bars for what you really believe in. Uh, this reminds me of Henry David Thoreau, who did the same thing. And when his friend Ralph Waldo Emerson came and said, what are you doing in there? And he replied, what are you doing out there? Yep. <laughs> so anyway, what, what I called about uh, was that uh, there's been considerable discussion about Quakers, uh, which whose official name is the Religious Society of Friends. Okay. Yes. And I had quite a, uh, a long-standing uh, uh, association with this wonderful group uh, a number of years ago. Uh, I was married, well, not married, but uh, we were we had a, a marriage-like relationship, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And uh, I spent quite considerable time in Quaker meeting. Uh, just thought I'd throw a few facts out there. Uh, it dates back to the 17th century with a gentleman by the name of George Fox, uh, who. Some consider the founder of the Religious Society of Friends. The, the name comes from, it's basically a, a Christian sect. The friend uh, that is referred to is Jesus. So Friends of Jesus, the Religious Society of Friends. Hmm. However, many uh, meetings uh, kind of soft-pedal the Christian Jesus thing and, and are more on the individual conscience. Uh, yeah, I would say there uh, was... Waiting upon the Spirit. There uh, were as approach. many... There were as many references to, uh, you know, Buddha as there was to Jesus in it, at the meeting that I went to, and, and that, there weren't yeah. very many references to either. Yeah, Quakerism basically uh, split into two basic types. There's the unprogrammed meetings where people sit in silence and are moved to speak uh, on occasion, mm-hmm. and those that actually have ministers and pastors, and, and uh, they are somewhat less distinguishable from other uh, Christian sects. The one that I went to, I went to one with Mark this past weekend, and a couple other uh, free, free staters came out, for liberty activists came out for it. Uh, it was one of those sit-in-silence uh, kind of meetings, and then toward the end there, yeah. there was some yes. discussion. The source, that I, the source that I have indicates that that is a worship group in Keene, and uh, 
I, I, I'm going to be getting more information about the uh, the Quaker infrastructure, as it were, in New Hampshire, and I'll be forwarding that along to you. I know that oh, but, uh, Sam will find that useful because uh, we were talking with the the, Qua- the Quakers there. Uh, you were there with me, Sam, mm-hmm. and uh, you you were talking. They were talking about a, like a, a regional meeting or a, a whole New England kind of the, uh, meeting. The yearly meeting, which is the regional. And that it shouldn't be too hard to get to speak at something like that. So I know that you're already planning on, on taking advantage of such an opportunity. Yeah, so. I know Mark would uh, probably advocate a, a more gentle approach, let them get to know you and so forth. But They're not going to get to know you in the the regional meeting. Yeah, but. and I mean, Thomas Clarkson went around in uh, the 1790s uh, riding on horseback, going to all these different Quaker uh, groups or meetings, and he would just speak out and talk about slavery and, and why it was wrong and, and challenge people's beliefs. And the Quakers were pretty instrumental in ending slavery, weren't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, they, they created the petition drives. They created the uh, boycotts. They created, uh, like, the um, specific labeling of products that were not produced with sugar, that was not produced with slave labor that came from India. So that mm-hmm. was acceptable, but the stuff that came from the Caribbean that was produced from the plantations and the slave labor... They wouldn't uh, wouldn't use. So, Paul, any other thoughts? No, I just wanted to. Obviously, uh, Sam's been doing his homework there too, and uh, I just think that uh, any any philosophy we can use to uh, uh, to counter the uh, criminality of the state, uh, the state seems to be willing to uh, bow to authority since they wield it. Uh, so, if you can come up with another authority that says, "Well, actually," uh, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, our, my authority trumps your authority. So yeah, there. <laughs> Paul, I realize I, that's not the flavor of Quakerism, but uh, it's a the benefit. Point is, 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 it does stand for peace. It does stand for respect. It does stand for individual rights. And yeah, and it, it stands for equality as well. In that, uh, one of the most valuable things, as far as we were talking about, not standing for a judge earlier, as far as one of the first things that a uh, new activist can do to uh, get into the world of non-cooperation without jumping in full uh, full speed ahead. Uh, just to dip their toes in. Being a Quaker is a great excuse for that because uh, then you can just say, "Well, I'm a Quaker." And, you know, if, if you're ever asked why you aren't standing for the judge, well, I don't, I don't honor one man above another, so I can't. Although, although not all Quakers uh, make this connection that, that, that sure. some Quakers will stand for judges because, well, that's just what you do in court. Yeah, and know? they don't know anybody. Once again, this cognitive dissonance in our lives where we. We accept one thing in one one situation and something completely different in another situation. Oh, yeah. But I mean, the, the guys think, that we were sitting there with uh, at the Quaker meeting, one of them was talking about the U.N., for instance. <laughs> so clearly they haven't yeah. made all the connections, and that's one of the things that uh, we're probably going to help them with eventually. Yes. Absolutely great. So keep up the good work, guys. Thank I you, really Paul. admire Thank you. what you're doing. You, that, uh, you keep up the good work as well. CompleteLiberty.com is the website that uh, that you represent, and it's a great uh, great podcast. That's one of the reasons. That's the main reason why it's featured on the the Liberty Radio Network. It's I think one of my favorite shows on the network. So thank you for the call tonight. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Yeah, I, one of the books that I read in prison was "Bury the Chains" um, by Adam something. I can't remember the last name, but uh, it it really talked about the role that the Quakers played and that Thomas Clarkson played in riding around uh, England and traveling around the world getting a diagram of the slave ships and an actual working model so people could see the three feet eight inches of uh, deck space that, that the slaves were forced into below decks and kept there for mm. the entire voyage, whether it be uh, you know weeks or months. Um, the, just the horrible conditions, the lock jaws, as well as the, uh, 
various things that could be traded from Africa. So at the same time, he, he showed people, look, this is what you're supporting. And, of course, the people supporting it were the people in government. They had they had interests in the plantation. So they owned part of the mm-hmm. of the produce of the slave labor. So telling them, look, you need to do away with this, it served a financial interest. And it's not that they didn't agree that on a moral basis slavery was wrong, just like the politicians here wouldn't believe that theft is wrong. It's that they don't they couldn't see how Britain would survive without the slave trade, without the slave labor. How do we survive without the government police department? Yeah, it's exactly the same. Yeah. And the 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 paradigms that he challenged are some of the same things that we're facing and I think there's a lot to be learned uh for from liberty activists if they would take the time to read this book. All right. Uh, well, coming up here uh, tomorrow night, we will continue with more Free Talk Live uh, at that time. We are going to continue doing the extended edition of the show. For those of you that are on the radio, you'll get whatever's coming next on your station. Thanks for listening. Uh, those of you on the Internet stream, stick around because uh, there's more coming up here in moments. And, Sam, thanks for coming in on the uh, the radio version of the show tonight. I think you're going to stick around. Thank you. So more Free Talk Live tomorrow night uh, for the live Saturday edition. Join us same time, same place at freetalklive.com. So uh, sticking around here for the extended edition of Free Talk Live brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. Uh, the reason why I wanted to, uh, to do the extended edition tonight was because, well, I've got this really awesome letter that you were written, Sam, while you were in jail. And it's so great, I really wanted to read it on the air, but I know that it, in you know, an hour's time, yeah. an hour's time, there's no way in hell we're even going to get through half of it, especially if we stop down and talk about it uh, during, the, during the letter. It's just such a, uh, a stunning letter. It's so well-crafted and, in, and really just insightful. I, I really felt like a lot of people needed to hear this. So our radio audience is going to miss out. But for those of you who have the uh, the wonderful patience to sit through an entire two-hour podcast, I'm sure you will appreciate what it is that uh, that we're going to share with you. And since it was your letter, Sam, I'm going to ask oh, that no. you actually uh, read this. Okay. Um, so, oh, by the way, it is an extended edition of the show, and it is brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. You can call in at 603-435-1105, 603-435-1105. If you've got comments or whatever you want to talk about, that still goes as well. But uh, let's let's get into this. It's an anonymous letter sent to you while you were in jail, while you were sitting in jail for two months uh, for daring to record video in a public court lobby. Hi, Sam. Uh, You don't know me, but uh, your story has moved me to write you. I'm not sure if this letter will make it to you in your cage, but I will nonetheless, but I'll write it nonetheless and hope for the best. There are a few things that I'd like to communicate to you. First of all, I don't know how much uh, support you are receiving from the outside world. I hope that it's considerable, and I hope that this will motivate you to persevere in this battle of wills between good and evil. I think that uh, this life, in this life, we often made the mistake of letting people know, uh, well, well, I think that in this in this life, we often make the mistake of letting people know how much we uh, appreciate the sacrifices that they made. Uh, <laughs> sorry. It's okay. Okay. Uh, Take your time. We tend to mistakenly assume that they know. But in reality, they can never know unless we tell them. I want to uh, make sure that you know how much I personally appreciate the sacrifice that you are making. And I know that uh, there are many other people 
who you may never hear from who feel the same way. Please bear that in mind. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, when I was looking at your table full of mail, I was, of course, thinking that this is only a percentage. I mean, this is only the people that that took the time to uh, go to mail-2-jail.com or write something down on paper, shove it in an envelope and put it out the door. A lot of other people might have uh, might have been thinking similar things, but just didn't take the time. So what percentage is it? I don't know. Is it 1% of the people that were paying attention? Less than 1%? But you can guarantee that there are a whole lot of other people that, that feel the same way. Absolutely. Uh, I want to remind you that uh, your actions often change the world in a multitude of ways that we may never become aware of. Uh, for example, your struggle has changed my attitude towards the strategy of civil disobedience as a means of bringing about social change, and I am very grateful to you for that. Uh, I have a, for a long time believed that doing the hard work of winning individual hearts and minds through the philosophy of voluntarism was the correct way to bring about change uh, that we desire. The question is, how do we do it? I now realize that there is no more powerful motivating force than a clear case of injustice. The powerful emotions that this stirs up in people can cause them to question and break with long-held beliefs. Nonviolent civil disobedience of the type practiced by the likes of Gandhi and Martin Luther King can be an incredibly powerful force for change. Uh, I now get what Gandhi means when he said uh, nonviolence is the greatest force at the disposal of mankind. It is mightier than the mightiest weapon of destruction devised by the ingenuity of man. Absolutely. Uh, Your example has inspired me to study the history and philosophy of violence and civil disobedience. I find myself wishing that there was something that I could do to help. Uh, Accordingly, I have some ideas that I'd like to share with you. And my hope that one of these uh, might be of uh, use to you, either directly or indirectly, by triggering some other ideas that ultimately lead to a strategy for victory. Please forgive me. Please forgive uh, the audacity, but I do believe that I might have something of value to offer. Oh, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, this is an incredible letter. Uh, My understanding of Gandhi's concept of, Ian, can you say this word? Uh, Satyaga or whatever? I don't know that I could even pronounce it. My understanding of Gandhi's concept of Satyagra. That's a great one. Satya. I'm going to go and look it up on the the, uh, dictionary and see what it says. (laughs) Um, Is that uh, the goal is to convert rather than to uh, convince the the wrongdoer. This, in my opinion, is absolutely is an absolutely beautiful philosophy and the only strategy that is consistent with the philosophy of voluntarism. After all, it is the kind it is kind of silly to think that we are that we could bring about a non-coercive society by coercive means. Absolutely. As yeah. we covered tonight. And I just want to jump in and say it's really it's about changing people's hearts and minds because I really have come to understand that the world as it exists today is simply a reflection of what people believe it should be. And that when we can change their belief about the need for government, that government's just going to change Satyagraha. on its own. Satyagraha. Satyagraha. Oh, we Satyagraha. were both way off on that. Satyagraha. There you go. Satyagraha. Satyagraha. Okay. Got it. And now the listeners can say it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the question is, how do we do it? How do we pers- uh, penetrate the rigid belief systems of the most coercive elements of society? If we can figure out how to do this, there will be absolutely no stopping us. 
If we can figure out how to do this effectively, we can change the world. I believe that, and I know how. I believe that I know how to do it. If we want to, if we seek to change the way uh, people behave, we first need to understand the belief systems that they have, which uh, drive them to behave in the way that they do. Why is it that people resort to coercion? I know that uh, Tony Robbins got it right in his philosophy of uh, neuro-associative conditioning when he uh, posturized that uh, all human behavior can be treated to the ways in which we uh, associate it, associate pain and pleasure to ideas. Every single decision that we make in our lives is driven by uh, the desire to avoid pain and embrace pleasure. That may be the first sound. Uh, that may at first sound sim- simplistic. However, I believe that if you really think deeply about it, you will discover that this is true. Uh, if you have uh, a behavior of your own that you want to change, we should first work to understand why we believe in the in the way that we do, or why we behave in the way that we do. Uh, inadvertently, this is because we've uh, associated pain with the demand, with the desired behavior, and that the pleasure and the pleasure uh, with the undesired behavior. Changing our behavior is simply a matter of changing the way that we have unconsciously wired our own brains to, by choosing um, to associate great pain with the undesired behavior and great pleasure uh, with adopting the new behavior. So essentially he's just saying there that um, we're always doing something that we perceive benefits ourselves, that we always act out of self-motivation, but it's based on our belief system that, uh, you know, this is the, the, the highest good, mm-hmm. whether it's just for me individually or whether it's for society as a whole. People always think that what they're doing is right and that, you know, this is the way it needs to be. Hitler thought what he was doing was right. Absolutely, he did. Okay. Find uh, it. Okay. Uh, why do people choose the behavior of coercion? The answer is simple. Fear. Fear of pain. Coercion is deeply ingrained in barbarian conditioned response to, to fear. When our b- barbarian ancestors determined a threat, real or imaginary, the fight-or-flight response was triggered. The choice to, f- to fight is uh, a choice to exercise coercion. Fear is the root of all evil. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hatred. Hatred leads to violence. Violence leads to suffering. You want to trade off pages? Yes. Okay, because it is a lot to read. Uh, continuing here, page three, our adversary is not the state State-based coercion is merely a symptom of the deeper underlying problem. Our true adversary is fear. And I think we've been touching on this recently here on Free Talk Live. And, and people are so trained to be afraid in our, in our current society. Uh, I mean, people are afraid even within our own movement of doing the most basic civil disobedience actions because of what might happen. Whether it will happen or not is another question. It's just the fact that there is a possibility that they could be harmed personally, even though they know that in the long run the harm will come, even though they know that they're already being harmed by taxes or whatever arbitrary rules are being forced upon them in their business and that sort of thing. So they know they can observe the, uh, the harm that's happening, but... But they believe that more harm will come if they if they take action right now, whereas, uh, of course, with risk comes great reward. And if we do have enough people that are willing to take that, that risk, even just a small risk, we can have that great reward. Yeah, well, and it's much safer to follow somebody else, follow in somebody else's footsteps that's already 
stretched out and taken those steps and that's why this to lead the way that's why it's important to have people like you uh in this movement sam who can show people the way like okay look here's what happened to me if you go down the same path maybe you'll have similar things happen to you or show people that look you can uh get away with doing simple things like staying seated in a courtroom this is something that would terrorize a lot of people the idea mm-hmm. of staying seated for a judge but up here it happens on a regular basis and there's very little consequence for it and there was at one time the judge uh, in that in the that particular courtroom threatened those people who did not stand and that kind of uh, set people off and got them scared for a little while but then they they came back and and, and those who were originally not standing started to stand uh, to uh, rather rather those who were standing began to not stand and they they found that courage within themselves and they moved ahead and and now we do it regularly yeah months ago they had actually cleared out the gymnasium and gotten a bus that they were going to arrest everybody haul them all off to the gym and process them and keep them at the jail everyone who didn't stand in the courtroom that <laughs> that was the plan that they had can you imagine what would have happened had they done oh, that oh that would have been can you imagine i mean putting uh, 20 free staters or liberty activists in the same room together in a jail? Uh, I can't imagine. <laughs> I mean, with nothing better to do at that point on their, <laughs> on their, to, you know, as far as their time is concerned, nothing better to do than come up with ways to be thorn in their side, basically? I, I don't think they understand. Um, you know, I would talk to the jailers while I was in jail about, you know, I'm just one, but what happens when 10, 50, 100 people show up here and you have to drag them from room to room and they don't cooperate? What did they say? He said, well, you know, it's just another day at at, at work for me. <laughs> oh, no, like, it wouldn't be. I don't think so. I mean, you You'd say You'd be more that, tired but... than, I mean, if, if you had that many people non-cooperating, yeah. uh, they would be very, very beat physically. It would be a lot of work more so, because normally people just do what they tell them to. And I think it would take an emotional toll, too. Uh, I mean... I got a lot of uh, people that didn't believe in the hunger strike that I was on, that thought I should just be eating, that you know, for a various number of reasons. Mm-hmm. One of which is that, well, nobody cares, but I can tell you the guards cared. I mean, they would come in sometimes all really? happy and say, hey, good news. And I'm like, what? what is it? Well, this is the day you start eating. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm eating when I'm free. And this guard turned back to me and she's like, well, what is it with you? Why are you? Why are you doing this? I don't get it. And it just, it bothered her, I think, at a level of, you know, her. it made it clear that she's supporting these uh, actions against me and that this is what I'm choosing based out of the way I'm being treated by the state, the organization that she believes in. And it let her start to maybe question that a little bit. Let me continue here. Uncontrolled fear is the root cause of all coercion. I believe that science has pretty much proven that morality is innate. Empathy is the basis of morality. We're all equipped with mirror neurons that enable us to feel empathy for our fellow human beings. When our empathy is turned on, we cannot cause harm to others because we feel their pain as if it were happening to us. And this is why the golden rule has been the basis of the moral systems of so many different cultures throughout history. Love is just another word for empathy. I think of it as a state of maximum empathy, whereas fear turns off empathy. When people are consumed by fear, they lose empathy for their victims and are capable of inflicting all manner of harm upon them, including throwing people into cages, which is why when it comes to a wartime scenario, you see the enemy being dehumanized, those evil mm-hmm. Japs or fill in the blank. Uh, and, and then if you can dehumanize the enemy, oh, those terrorists, the Muslims or whatever, uh, drug dealers, whatever the current communists, you know, whatever the enemy of the moment is. And it already it's already happening in today's society. Cops look at, at the people that they arrest as criminals, criminals, not as people. Right. 
So uh, so that's how they can treat them. They don't have to treat you like a human if you've been broken down in their mind being someone who's beneath them. And so the, these people uh, that are running the jails and that are doing the jailing and, and they're, that are an initiating force, they're not empathizing with their victims. And maybe doing what you did, Sam, can help them uh, feel a little bit of empathy, can help them realize that what they are dealing with is a human being. For instance, um, when I was in there, and I certainly didn't take the same path as you, uh, when, when I was in this very same jail, uh, when they were starting to ask me questions and I didn't want to really answer their questions, and I said, well, what are you going to do to me if I don't answer these questions? Well, we're going to put you in you know, maximum security and you won't be able to see anything or do anything at all. And so that's when I decided to go ahead and answer their questions because I believed I would have a, a greater impact and it would be easier personally for me to be in with other people, in with other inmates and, and, and talking to them. It turned out I felt like I'd, I made the right choice uh, in that particular case. But for me to uh, to get angry with them would have allowed them to uh, to hate on me more effectively. It would have allowed them to just say, "Oh, just another criminal, just another angry criminal." Yeah. They, they hate us, you know. It, all that it kind would of allow thing. them to justify their paradigm and be right about, "Well, this is the way it is." You know, these guys are are he's he's just angry because one of the guards came in and said, "Look, you know, I don't understand why you're not talking to us. It's not our fault that you're here. The police are the ones telling us to hold you here, and <laughs> you can be mad at them, but uh, you know it's not going to do you any good. Why don't you answer our questions? And he just couldn't understand that. No, I, I, you know, I was, I had already forgiven them for what they had done. I was at peace with everything that happened, and yep. uh, I'm just simply choosing not to uh, assist you. I think that's the best place to come from is, is forgiveness and, and being at peace with oneself and being at ease and not lashing out, not getting angry at them. They're doing horrible things. The things they're doing are inhumane. They're, they're wrong what they're doing, no doubt about it. But, but, uh, but hating them for what they do is going to just put you right in the position that they expect you to be. If you come to them with love emanating from yourself and showing that to them and, and communicating on a positive basis with them, uh, then that makes a difference. That's, that shows them that you aren't the typical thug that they might be used to taking in and that something's different here. Maybe they should analyze it closely to figure out what's different about you. Yeah, and they started wondering around you know, as the weeks went by more and more asking me questions, trying to understand just what are these free staters. But if you'd been angry and you'd been spiteful toward them, they never would have asked you question one. They would have treated you all. like shit, and, uh, and, and that's how it would have been over at that point. Yep. Uh, so let me continue here. He says that when people are consumed by fear, they lose their empathy for their victims and are capable of inflicting all manner of harm upon them, including throwing people into cages or worse. This is why fear is the root of all evil. When people are consumed by destructive emotions, they do things they later regret. But morality is innate. On some level, they know that what they've done is wrong. So why don't they right the wrong? Again, the answer is fear. I mean, in the case of, uh, of Van Wickler, the, uh, the jail superintendent, nice guy. I've talked to him a number of times. He's a law enforcement against prohibition speaker. He does everything he can within an inhumane system to treat people. I, I believe this when he says this, you know, that he says that he does everything he can to uh, to treat people as, as well as they possibly could be treated, given the circumstances. Yes. But the problem is that his circumstances are putting him in that position of fear. I asked him when I was on a phone conversation with him, well, why don't you just turn people loose? Well, I can't do that. Well, you're the jail superintendent. Don't you have the ability to just say, we've had too many people in here. You're out of here. And basically, if he turns somebody loose, 
before uh, there's apparently one rule that says that if uh, if they've served two thirds of their sentence, then he has the ability to turn them loose. But prior to two thirds, he has no decision whatsoever. Um, he would be arrested, or he believes he would be arrested. Whether or not he really would is another question. I believe he probably would be. Um, so he would go from his position as superintendent to inmate. And he's probably got a family at home, and he's afraid of what might happen to him if he was to do the absolute right thing. He's doing what he can, but if, he's, he, was, if he were to do the right thing and say, you, 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 and you, all of you nonviolent, peaceful people, you're out of here, then he would go to jail himself. So he's frightened to death. Yeah. Fear. The answer is fear. When the destructive emotions subside and our conscience returns, we know that we've done wrong. And there's no hiding from our conscience. This is a moment of truth for all of us. We can either choose to admit our wrongdoing and seek to correct it, or we can choose to assault our own conscience by practicing self-deception. Neuroassociative conditioning guides our decision. We voluntarists know that the enduring pain of unremitting war with our own conscience is far greater than the short-term but intense pain of shame. We choose to make peace with our conscience. The status wire their brains differently. They see only the intense pain of the shame and seek to avoid it. They mistakenly believe that they can get away with hurting people without retribution because they have power. But they're wrong. The corollary of the golden rule is the law of reciprocity. No amount of power can protect them from their own conscience, but they are not conscious of this because they're not in touch with their own emotions. Self-deception is more effective when it's reinforced by others in the form of shared belief systems like religion and legal systems. And the fact is, this, religious, uh, this legal system is a religion. The belief in the state is a religious belief. It's not based on any facts. It's not based on effectiveness or anything like that. It's just, well, this is what my parents told me. This is what everyone else believes, so it must be right. And if everybody else is backing you up in your mistaken belief, then it's easy to be to seek comfort in that and to say, well, these crazy free staters and these liberty activists, what the hell are they doing? This is our system. This is the way things are. How dare they come in and change this? Because it's challenging that long-held belief system that is so comforting to them. Mm-hmm. And and it's a tool. It's the same. It's the same exact tool that was used against the slaves in uh, early America. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. Most of you can't understand legalese or draft motions in court. Mm-mm. But again, the politicians, the people in power, most of them are lawyers. They know how to uh, understand this stuff and how to comprehend it. And it's used against the masses to subjugate them. These things, say the writer, who again is anonymous serve the purpose of helping us to deceive ourselves so we don't have to face our own conscience. But it never really works, does it? Deep down, our conscience is screaming at us. We can never really silence it. Have you ever noticed that those who choose to exercise coercion are invariably very unhappy people? They are that way because they're in a constant state of war with their own conscience. I believe this is absolutely critical for us to understand. It is key to our ultimate victory. Every time we convert a hardened statist, we're helping them make peace with their own conscience and find joy in their lives. This brings to mind a quote, which I like, from Zig Ziglar. Quote, what you get by achieving your goals is not as important as what you become by achieving your goals. Now, to really convert the hardened statists, we need to connect with them on a deep emotional level in a fashion that helps them to overcome their fear and empathy for their victims. Yeah, helps them overcome their fear and feel empathy for their victims. To change their behavior, we need to help them change their neuroassociative conditioning. And this can sometimes be very difficult to do, but I know with absolute certainty that this can be done. 
and I want to give you an example from my own life to prove it. My father's a police officer. Now, when he first started in this line of work, I believe he was like so many young cops, eager to exercise his newfound power, inflict his will on people, and vigorously enforce the law. When I was growing up, I used to fear going to school. Many of the other kids wanted to beat me up because my father had caused some sort of harm to their fathers. One day, in one of my many fights with my father, I let him know how much I hated the fact that he was a cop, and this affected him on a deep level. It was the first and only time in my life that I ever saw my father cry. He couldn't bear the idea that his own son was ashamed of his behavior. After all, this is behavior that uh, in, in society is lauded and, and held up as heroic. But here within your own family structure where you should have the most influence over somebody, somebody has, uh, has pulled away from you and has told you, Dad, this sucks. Why are you doing that? He says that uh, the experience completely changed his father. And it left a lasting effect on me as well. My father is still a police officer today, but he's chosen to use the power that he has to protect people from the state when he can. Again, doing what he can within the confines of an inhumane system. Today, when I go home to visit, I'm no longer approached by people who want to beat me up. Instead, people go out of their way to tell me stories about how my dad bent the rules to help them. And how grateful they were to have had a run-in with him instead of a different police officer. Which is one of the reasons why I think people like Brad Chartis and other uh, law enforcement against prohibition members and other cops that, are, that know what the right thing is to do should stay in the business uh, instead, of, uh, instead of evacuating. Because taking somebody that, that at least understands freedom and does their best to apply it when they can within that job, within the confines, the inhumane confines of that job, is far preferable to leaving a position open for a sadist to step in uh, in their place. Yeah, and I really – it's about reaching out to these people – they have this paradigm that is just so ingrained in them. Um, it's tough to even, I think, approach them. And, I, and, you know, we've heard some of the stories that have come out, uh, the things Brad has talked about and some of the retaliation and so forth that mm-hmm. he gets for some of the Internally. positions that he takes up yeah, yeah, from his fellow officers. It is hard to uh, present this message, but I think it's such a powerful force when it comes from somebody that's in the same role, in the same job, doing Absolutely. the same thing and saying, look, you know, we can be compassionate here. We can do the right thing. I can honestly say I'm very proud of my father today. He uses his position to help people when he can instead of hurting them. And consequently, he's a much happier person than he once was. There is, I think, a lesson to be learned from this story. By seeking to uh, convert those who choose the path of coercion, we are really seeking to help them rescue themselves from evil. They will throw up. I love a, that. Can you read that one more time? I thought that was brilliant. By seeking to convert those who choose the path of coercion, we are really seeking to help them rescue themselves from evil. What it, a noble purpose. It, it's, it's really, it's compassion. That's the underlying principle here is have compassion for these people because, you know, they, they know not what they do. Yeah, they know not what they do, and you yourself could have been in their shoes. I was. It wouldn't yeah. have been hard. You, maybe you already were, or maybe you've actually been there before, or, and, and it wouldn't have been more than one or two life changes for you that would have sent you off in that direction. Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up in a law enforcement family. My dad was a police officer. My mom, was he really? Yeah. Wow. Dallas police officer. My uh, mom was a deputy sheriff. My, uh, hmm. th- they divorced when I was young, and my mom remarried a game warden. <laughs> and I mean, it was about right and wrong, black and white. There's the law and the criminals. And, you know, he would come home and get so upset if the bad guys got the one up on him. I mean, it was just it would just eat at him because the authority had to be absolute. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah, this is what gave me the perspective to to really 
look into these guys and see that okay, this is why they are the way they are because I've I grew up in that uh, in that paradigm. Mm. So, okay, where was I? Uh, they they will throw up a seemingly impenetrable wall of resistance to our attempts to connect with them. They fear feeling empathy and compassion for their victims so deeply that it forces them to be very angry people. Mm-hmm. But anger is an emotion that cannot be sustained. No human being can live in total isolation. We need all people in our lives with whom we can connect. We all need people within our lives with whom we can connect. I think that uh, the, the whole point about anger not being sustainable, eventually they, they're going to want to feel good. Uh, they, very important. And it would be nice if they could feel good about what we're doing as well. And I think that's one of the uh, the, the reasons why one of the things we're doing tonight here after the show, uh, Sam, is you and I are going to go and volunteer at this silly little thing called Project Graduation. Right. Uh, and regardless of how you feel about Project Graduation, it's a uh, it's an idea to keep kids out of drugs and drinking, which, as Julia points out, they're just going to go and get drunk tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the high school kids will be high school kids. But nonetheless, it's a it's one of those community events and the police prosecutor who went after you and is currently going after a number of the activists in the area reached out to us to ask if we would help with this. And it was a, it was one of those moments for me like, wow, you know, this guy is somebody who I, you know, I don't really have much respect for because of what he do, he's doing. He's aggressing yes. against us. Uh, my initial response was, uh, you know, was, well, screw him. But then my second thought was, well, wait a minute. We need to do this because this is the right thing to do to uh, not only to help out with the, this situation, but to to improve our image uh, in the community. If you are if you're somebody who's uh, who's helping out at a community kitchen or you're going to help out at a project graduation or you're you know beautifying a park or whatever it is that is picking up trash, whatever it is that you're doing. This is something to where they can't just paint you as common criminals. They can't paint you as uh, as the enemy because you're doing things that they are doing. You're you're doing mm-hmm. the same things in, in in many areas. It's just that you're you're disagreeing with them here and here and here and 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 being uh, and and showing this kind of level of compassion makes it very difficult for them to paint you with that evil brush. Yes, and that's one of the reasons I've called into the local radio shows. Uh, fairly consistently since I've uh, been up here is now after I call, I get a lot of calls of support. And while I was in jail, I've been going back listening to the archives from that. People call in and, you know, I don't necessarily agree with all the free staters, but the Sam seems like a pretty nice guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe the, the state's wrong here. And, and it lets them see me as a human being exactly. and look past all of the rhetoric and, and evaluate it for themselves. Absolutely. Just to add something to that, uh, one of the activists here, who I have a lot of respect for, he's one of the most creative people. He runs the Ministry of Propaganda. He believes that they're setting us up tonight. He believes that uh, this project graduation that we're going to is a trap and that they're <laughs> just going to try to bust us all for something. I don't know what it would be, molesting yeah. the high school kids or something. I, I don't know. Uh, but you know, talk about paranoid. I mean, I, that's, it's just to believe that that's going to be the case, well, we'll find out, right? I mean, because we're going. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I understand that the, the state is really sneaky, and they are certainly willing to do uh, evil things like that. But I don't think that we're going to get anywhere by hiding out and, you know, just just waving signs on the side of the road. Uh, and, and he's also one of the critics of calling the talkback show, which is the Saturday morning show. It actually airs on LibertyRadioNetwork.com. So if you want to hear uh, Free Staters, Liberty activists in New Hampshire calling these these politicians and talking to them, uh, I think that uh, that it's very effective to call that show. He believes it's not. 
I think it's effective because you're getting your voice out there, your voice of reason. Even if you aren't changing the minds of the politicians running the show, there are a lot of people listening to that that might already agree or might partially agree that they just need to be persuaded in the right direction. I think it's very valuable to participate in uh, in things like uh, like a local radio show or going to the city council meeting. I know that some of the local activists have been going to the council meetings as of late, and they they believe they've been getting some uh, some positive response. I mean, there was a meeting recently that they were looking at doubling the the parking fines, and that went down in flames apparently. Which, Good. if the activists hadn't been there. Would that have turned out differently? I don't know. There's very good possibility it it might have. It was my understanding that particular night, the activists were a third of the audience. So we're already to a third of the audience at a city council meeting here in 2009 at this very early portion of the Free State Project. Look, I'm not somebody that believes that politics is the most effective method of toward change, but with enough participation, I think something can happen. I think we're starting to see the evidence of that. Yep. We return to the letter. Uh, the key, I think, is to find out who these people are in the lives of the brutalizing class and connect with them. If we, not, if we cannot connect, connect directly with those who have hurt us, we should seek instead to connect with those who can. Even thugs have friends and family who care for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's part of this project graduation, letting these people see that, you know, we are just people as well. And they're going to maybe question some of the actions of Rivera, whereas before they might have bought into his paradigm that, oh, they're criminals. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, These people should be made to realize the suffering to other human beings and that the behavior... Rivera, I'm sorry, Rivera knows we're not criminals. He wouldn't have invited us otherwise. (laughs) He knows it. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, when I heard that he has peace on his license plate, Uh, this is somebody who (laughs) believes that there is a way to peace. Mm Mm-hmm. He thinks that the he mistakenly believes arrest that your way to peace. law and order, you know, yeah. by the, the way to peace is through violence. And he doesn't understand that peace is the way. And when he can get that, he's going to come around to this message pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Okay. Um, the pain of hearing the truth from people whom they have deep connections with will almost certainly be enough to push them over the edge and encourage oh, yeah. them to voluntarily and permanently change their behavior. Knowing that they may be forgiven by those who have brutalized can be a powerful motivator for them, too. That's important. I think that's such an important part. And was one of my, I think that uh, one of my turning points in this whole path toward peace or path toward accepting peace as the path, mm-hmm. uh, because for me it has been a path. I mean, having come from a, a violent perspective to where I am today, get, when I got out of jail— and uh, I was in for three days for the whole couch thing where an anonymous neighbor turned me in for my tenants having a couch in their lawn. I went to jail because I refused to pay the fine and I refused to you know, obey, basically. And I, I had originally said that I, I would uh, move the couch if the anonymous person would just come meet me like a good neighbor and ask me to remove it like a good neighbor would. She refused. I found out who it was while I was in court. Turns out it was a city bureaucrat. One of the city planners, in point of fact. She lives way down the street from me. And uh, when I got out of jail, I started to read the websites and the postings and the, the things that people were saying while I was in. And, of course, I came across the ideas of, well, get revenge, you know, get her back and, uh, and all of that. And, and if it had been five years before, that might have been my first thought as well. But I was inspired to forgive her because that's the right thing to do. It's like you said earlier. She knows not what she's what she's doing. She 
she probably doesn't she did, probably didn't realize that that uh, I would end up going to jail for this. She probably figured I'd just pay up or move the couch or whatever mm-hmm. like most people would if the the threatening code enforcer guy shows up and threatens you, you you'll jump says. through the hoops and you'll do what he says. She didn't yeah. know. And so I for, I forgave her for it. And I think forgiveness is the absolute right thing to do in the face of the violence of the state because it it keeps you at the uh, the high level. It does not lower you in any way shape or form. You don't have to be violent to lower yourself just doing some sort of uh, retaliation that's non-violent you know toilet papering a house or something like that i guess it's not really truly peaceful but <laughs> nonetheless i mean that is still lowering yourself you're still lowering yourself to uh, a level that you don't deserve to be on if you just keep it up there and, and forgive one of the books i read while i was in jail uh, was peace pilgrim and you can get it free at peacepilgrim.com one of her quotes was hate only hurts the hater not the hated great point and it's because, you know, if you're holding on to that judgment, if you're holding on to that animosity and that anger, it's affecting you and not the person that you're hating. They don't feel that. They may be completely unaware of it. You could be waking up with an ulcer and they'll have no idea. Yeah, but in the meantime, you're creating this disharmony, this dis-ease mm-hmm. in your body, and uh, you're, you're harming yourself. So forgive yourself as well. It's okay to forgive yourself, too. I've been doing that mm-hmm. a lot recently. Uh, it's been my, uh, my most recent uh, step because I've just... Growing up in this society, I've been programmed. You know, I've been programmed to think about retaliation. I've been programmed to think about silly nonsense that has been indoctrinated in me from the government schools and from religion and things like that. And I can't stop those thoughts from coming into my head. I haven't gotten to that point. I hope I'll get there at, at some point to where those thoughts don't invade my mind. But when they do, all I have to do now is forgive myself for thinking those things. Like, I, that's mm-hmm. not me. That's, what I, that's who I was. And this, those thoughts are still there, and they still bubble up you to can, the surface. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can accept it and then just move on from That's there. exactly what I'm doing. Not only am yeah. I accepting it, I'm forgiving myself for even thinking in the first place. Oh, so, silly, silly me. You know, yeah. How could I think something like that? That's not who I am today. Do not underestimate the power of forgiveness. There is no greater gift. That, that is, to I believe, the reason those who exercise coercion on behalf of the state feel so threatened by the camera. They know deep down that what they are doing is morally wrong and that they are uh, subconsciously deeply ashamed of it. Mm. But, yes. But they have hurt so many people that they feel that they cannot bear the pain of having to face their own conscience. So they lash out and they get angry at the cameraman. And, and I think that uh, Judge Napolitano is absolutely right. The camera is the new gun. It really shows these people to the world and themselves for who they really are and who mm-hmm. they are being. And that's something they, don't, they just don't want themselves to see, number one, and they certainly don't want their loved ones to see. Yeah. They are absolutely terrorized by the thought that those few people with whom they do have strong emotional bonds might find out about the evil that they have done and be ashamed of them as they are of themselves. And that's so true. When, when I did the Plano uh, Police Propaganda Day where we went on the tour of the facility, mm-hmm. they didn't show the jails. They didn't show the booking room. They mm-hmm. didn't show any criminals. They showed pictures the on, on the, the floor. wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they showed pictures on the wall of, oh, look how great we are and look at all the uh, history here and well, we've grown this facility to twice its size, and this is where we stop the bad yeah. guys. It was just, it was so one-sided, and I think yeah. they are really ashamed of that. They don't show the families of the people that they put in jail cells, the peaceful uh, drug offenders, the families that are torn apart, the, that can't pay the rent anymore. I mean, my next-door neighbor is probably going to go to jail here pretty soon, and they're already having trouble paying the rent. Yeah. Gee, thanks for raiding their house and destroying their lives. Mm-hmm. As long as those who are close to them remain blissfully ignorant of their evil, those people can help them 
to deceive themselves into believing that they are moral. They don't believe that Oh, and they, they love to give themselves trophies and things like that. I mean, yeah. we went into the police department and we got a, the backstage tour, and there's a, there's a whole trophy center there where they've, they've awarded themselves. like in the themselves. government schools. Yeah. I mean, it's that same, we're number one, we're the winners, we're the best. Yep. What we're doing is right because, hey, look at these fancy trophies. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Pat each other on the back and pretend like nothing's wrong. Yeah. Uh, as long uh, do, do, do. they don't believe that they can handle the pain. That is why they continue to dig themselves deeper into the hole by hurting those who force them to face their own conscience. Uh, I encourage you and your friends to continue to force them to face their conscience. Uh, be relentless. Cut off all avenues of escape into self-deception, and they will break. I am absolutely sure of it. Offer them a hope of forgiveness, and they will hopefully not take their own lives in the process. Uh, it is uh, ironic uh, you are the one who is uh, physically imprisoned, but you have the freedom of clear conscience. The status enforcers, on the other hand, although physically free, have imprisoned themselves by choosing to go to war with their own conscience. Mm. Have faith that they that by forcing the status to face the evil within them, that you will be helping them to make peace with their own conscience and ultimately find more joy in their lives. As is so often the case in life, we must push through short-term pain for long-term gain. In this fashion, person by person, we will convert them all to the philosophy of voluntarism and build a better world in which to live. In this fashion, we will not only shrink the state, but bring about an end to all forms of coercion and an end to the age of barbarianism itself. I encourage you to hold steadfast in your resolve. Do not underestimate the impact that you have had and uh, are having or may yet have. When you succeed, you will inspire others to follow in your footsteps. Mm -hmm. They will, in turn, inspire others. In this fashion, your small ripple in the pond of humanity will become a great wave that sweeps the world, bringing joy to the hearts of millions. Above, Above all else, the trait that enabled Gandhi to prevail was his unshakable resolve. I am reminded that the speech that Nelson Mandela gave when released from prison, in it he said, Our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate, but rather that we are powerful beyond measure. Indeed. Brilliant, uh, brilliant stuff. And I'm glad we were able to share it here tonight. Speaking of resolve, uh, just to to add something to that, uh, I was on TalkBack this past week, and the archive is posted at freekeen.com. It's right there pretty much at the top of the page at this point. Uh, You can listen to the half an hour that I was sitting in there with Cynthia and Kendall, a couple of the city councilors. And at one point, a guy calls in. There's a the conservative from Vermont. Uh, he calls in from time to time during the show, the regular sh- uh, Saturday show, and he was talking about how he wishes New, uh, Vermont was chosen instead of New Hampshire. And at one point in the call, he says that he's willing to do anything uh, to help here in Vermont, except move across the except river. move across the <laughs> fucking river to New Hampshire. And I said that to him. I said, "Well, thanks for you know for that." Uh, so you're willing to do anything except move across the Connecticut River. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. And, and uh, you know, it sounded like he had a little bit of resolve until he chickened out at the very last moment. Mm-hmm. Well, how wonderful that we're in a movement, the uh, the Free State Project, 
that self-selects the, the people with the greatest resolve and brings them all to the same place. For anybody to look at that and to say, you guys aren't going to have any effect, you are, you've got your head in the sand like you don't understand. It takes so much resolve to be able to say, I'm leaving where I am. I'm picking up my life. I'm, t- I'm uh, tying up the strings. I am uh, leaving my family and whatever friends that have, are going to stay behind, my job and all of the, the connections that I've made here, and I'm moving to another place to be around people that I've never really spent any significant amount of time with because I love liberty that much. That is uh, is resolve personified, in my opinion, and, it, and it's going to lead to some amazing things. And, and for me, it's not – I don't even know if resolve is the right word for it. For me, it's really – I'm living truth. I mean, by coming across this message, by understanding all of the ideas of liberty and the way that the state functions and the fact that it's coercive in nature, I've just come to understand that a voluntary society is a higher purpose for mankind. And I just feel I, I need to live that, live that and let it be true in my life. And so that's why I'm here. Absolutely. And and as he said, uh, one example will will encourage others, will bring others to do similar things and to uh, to innovate and do their own thing. And as as we've been talking about consistently recently on this program is take a little dip, you know, uh, try try a little non-cooperation. And, and let me let me make a suggestion here. Uh, we talked about not standing for a judge. That's a lot easier to do when you have activists behind you. And if you're in here in New Hampshire, then there's no reason to not stand or there is no reason to stand for a judge. There's so many activists. It's safety in numbers. You'll be fine. Uh, but here's an example of something that everybody can do. Everybody around this country, everybody in America will have the opportunity. You've got plenty of time to prepare for it, too. You'll have the opportunity to non-cooperate in 2010 because it's the census time. And there was a news story on uh, one of the news breaks tonight. Johnson pointed this out to me, that there's a certain representative in Minnesota who has said she is so concerned. Now, her reasons here are not what I think you should share, but... She's so concerned that next year's national census that information will be used, will be abused, that she will refuse to fill out anything more than the number of the people in her household. In an interview uh, with the Washington Times, America's Morning News, Ms. Bachman, a Minnesota Republican, said the questions, of course, it's a partisan thing, right? See, now it's, oh, it's Obama's census, so uh, you know, can't participate in that. Uh, she says the questions have become very intricate, very personal, and she also fears that ACORN, the community organizing group that came under fire for its voter registration efforts, will be part of the Census Bureau's door-to-door information collection efforts. She says, I know for my family the only question we will be answering is how many people are in our home. We won't be answering any information beyond that because the Constitution doesn't require any information beyond that. A spokes bureaucrat for the Census Bureau says Bachman is misreading the law. She sent a portion of the U.S. legal code that says anyone over 18 years of age who refuses to answer any one of the questions on the census can be fined up to $5,000. So there's the scare factor. There's the fear, right? That, uh, oh, Mm -hmm. if you don't answer the question, even one of them, and there's a whole bunch, then you might get fined by the federal government. And, of course, who can pay a $5,000 fine? Most people don't have that to just cut a check. Uh, so it's very, very scary. So this woman should be congratulated for her courage in, in order to uh, to essentially shun 99% of the census. But she's still going to answer that one question. And I would suggest that dipping your toe in would be doing what she's doing and just answering the one constitutional question. But ask yourself, 
did you agree to the Constitution? Now, she may have, because she's a so-called representative, so she's probably sworn an oath. But uh, the rest of us, we never did. The rest of us uh, weren't signatories to the Constitution, so how is it that we can be bound to even answer that one question? I am planning on not answering any of the census questions. I'm planning on having a camera by the front door uh, and ready to pick it up whenever the census bureaucrats come. I'm not going to use the I'm not home approach. I'll, t- I'll talk to them and I'll ask them <laughs> questions about where's my obligation to obey this. And, you know, you can call your supervisor if you need to or whatever. But that's my plan. And I hope that other people will join me in that because uh, it's you have no obligation to answer those questions. So why should you bother? Uh, but if you're worried. Look into uh, blogabile.com. Uh, our friend Bile, free stater, uh, a great activist, hasn't yet moved to New Hampshire, but he's got a, a great blog. And he outlined his experiences with the census family survey or whatever it was that they did, where essentially the same threat is present. If you don't answer these questions, we'll fine you. And he didn't answer. And he talked to the bureaucrats, and they tried to persuade him and cajole him and threaten him uh, to get him to answer the questions. And eventually they just folded up, and they left him alone. The fine never came out. It never materialized. And even if the fine does materialize, how are they going to get it from you? Russell Canning uh, was doing some civil disobedience at the airport once, holding a sign or something like that. I forget. Oh, no, it was uh, Dave Ridley. No, it was Russell. Russell did something, and they fined him. They sent him one of those TSA fines, where oh, the TSA okay. says, "You broke one of our rules. Now you owe us twenty-eight, <laughs> uh, you know, twenty-eight hundred dollars or something like that." And Russell just basically laughed, and you know, not did he didn't do anything, and nothing has happened to him as a result of it. So, so this is one of those situations where others have gone before, and they have sort of paved the way here. And I think it'd be a real easy thing for people to do against one of the biggest and most scariest bureaucracies, the federal government. Mm-hmm. Just an idea. I would agree. Speaking of Russell Canning, I want to read uh, okay. One something poem. he sent me real quick. Is it a po- is poems or a song? It's, uh, it's a poem, and it, it was probably one of the funniest pieces of mail I got. Our Sam I am. Sam does not like boiled eggs in jail. He does not like bread that is stale. He does not like them on a tray. He does not like them anyway. He does not like them through a slot. He does not like his cement lot. He does not like square white bread, <laughs> square white bread. He does not like to eat in bed with a court or with a spork before a court. If you try an arraignment, you will get entertainment. He dreams of food that pleases while they feed him low grade cheeses. His family sees no justice here. The force inherent is now clear. You can push Kool-Aid and milk, but he wants none of that. ilk. (laughs) Just doing your job. You keep him in the cold all because he filmed injustice and was bold. Sam does not like green eggs and spam. He does not like them, or Sam, I am. That's awesome. I thought so, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, phone line is 603-435-1105, doing an extended uh, Internet-only edition of Free Talk Live. And it is brought to you by the Free Talk Live AMP program. You can help us get Free Talk Live on more radio stations. Uh, we'll bring this message of freedom as far and as wide as we possibly can. And it's three bucks a month. You get perks. You get access to the AMP-only call-in lines, the chat room, the forum, and more. And an extra AMP perk if you're going to be at the Porcupine Freedom Festival. Free Jason beer. Osborne is going to be hooking you up. It may be more than beer. I don't know. Is he, is he, did you just say it was just beer? Uh, well, I've been in jail. You're asking the wrong okay. person. <laughs> I, I don't, Jason is not here with us to answer. Oh, he is online right now. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get an answer from him. Uh, but uh, this, but if you are a Free Talk Live amplifier and you're at the Porcupine Freedom Festival, during Free Talk Live, Jason will be buying free drinks 
for Free Talk Live amplifiers. So, sweet little perk there. Very generous. Thank you, Jason Osborne from SACL CAI. I think we're done here, Sam. Nobody's called in. They don't want to talk to us. That's okay. fine. We'll wrap it up. We've got things to do tonight here, going out to uh, volunteer at the project graduation with all the high school kids. And You've told me I should wear my uh, Free Talk Live uh, bowling shirt. I didn't know if that would be inappropriate or, or, or rude. but Yeah, and you've talked me out of wearing the Mark Emery Pot TV shirt. <laughs> Says as high as you can get on the net with a big pot leaf on the back. They sure hell, sure as hell wouldn't let the kids in with that one on. That's okay, sure. I'll put something else on. All right, so we're done here tonight and invite you to join us, uh, of course, online at freetalklive.com. And join us here in New Hampshire. If you haven't joined the Free State Project yet, head over to freestateproject.org. Come on up. Uh, the, the guys from Motorhome Diaries are coming back here this weekend, so looking Excellent. forward to seeing Jason and Pete and Adam, who's their new guy. And I guess he's going to be joining the Free – I think he has joined the Free State Project at this point. So just so much, so much excitement. It's growing. So growing. much happening. Uh, it's, so, it's so great to be a part of it. And thank you for listening to Free Talk Live. Again, amp.freetalklive.com. Sam, thanks for coming in here tonight, sitting in for Mark. Thank and you. Uh, have a good night, everybody. Back to uh, those of you that are listening online at the moment. Uh, if you're listening to the FTL stream, you'll be joining the show in progress. And if you're listening to the Liberty Radio Network, uh, you will get Liberty Radio Network content here shortly. Good night, everybody. Good night. Get on the ground, mother You and your spouse are going to jail and your kids are going to Child Protective Services. You're busted for possession of marijuana. 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 Hi, I'm Barry Cooper, ex-narcotics officer trained by the DEA. My DVD, Never Get Busted, has recently received world attention. I've switched sides and I'm now touring America with the message to end this war on people that has been labeled the war on drugs. Go to Barry's website, nevergetbusted.com, and order your DVD to Never Get Busted. On it, I'll teach you secret drug enforcement tactics and how to avoid narcotics profiling how to conceal your stash and i'll teach you how to fool drug dogs every time i'll teach you how police know when you're lying you'll get to go on patrol with me and watch actual marijuana arrest on the highway and learn the mistakes citizens made that landed them in jail go to nevergetbusted.com and arm yourself with the information you need so you'll never have to hear these words get on the ground mother you and your spouse are going to jail and your kids are going log on to, to nevergetbusted.com